emotion. We'll get back to it. But I didn't plan on what I was going to say because I didn't know what to say. Because I didn't know how I was going to feel. But I knew that I needed to feel it. February 2nd, 2022, and we are back for the top 50 wrestlers of the pandemic. Over here, our psychology is dead. I am Quentin Moody. Timothy, probably our longest gap between recording when we've done these type of shows, just because our situations are different than they have been in years past, but I am optimistic that we might be able to squeeze this into two parts this time. So, I'm ready to get into this. If you are, uh, yeah. how you feeling today? Let's do it. You can feel free to start this. Time. <laughs> I'll do that. How? Uh, but uh, we can get the pleasantries out the way. Are you good? Everything is all right. Oh, yeah, I'm great. I'm great. All right. Sounds like sounds like you're ready to go. Well, yeah. I mean, it's been a week, right? It's kind of weird, like you said, because we normally do them back to back and marathon it, and so it's just like, uh, I just edited everything. And I'm just like, all right, ready to ready to do this. It's funny because I'm sure that there's nobody who listens to them a week apart. Everyone listens to it all at the same time, right? So yeah, yeah, a bunch of fucking yeah, bunch of fucking sickos that listen yeah. to this. So yeah, so they're gonna they're so, gonna they're gonna marathon all through this anyway. Yeah, so for them it's like there's no break, so they're just thinking it's the same thing. Might as well might as well do it, uh, you know. But it is weird because we've been off for a week. Uh, I don't know. It's been good. Been good. <laughs> All right, well, I left off on uh, on my 26, which was Fuminori Abe last time, and you said you had him higher. So I'll go ahead and get to my 25 to kick us off. Someone that is near and dear to your heart, but you don't have any WWE people, so I doubt that he's on your list. My number 25 is Timothy Thatcher. Do not have him. Okay, so for some people, they might look at this and think it's a little high for Thatcher, and I can understand the case against him, but I would say that I have Thatcher this high, because even with even with this stuff pre the WWE uh, the WWE run, he had the WXW stuff uh, from that weekend teaming teaming with um who did he team with that weekend? I, pre- I think he teamed with Ishikawa that weekend. Yeah. Um, last year, or whatever, and like some really fun stuff there. But he gets the WWE, and you look at Thatcher, and you're like, oh my god, this guy would stand no fucking chance in that company and lo and behold for his first year there really thatcher got booked pretty well got consistent time and i thought was actually really getting over and not just that having really good matches in a variety of different settings you get to see some stuff rehashed some of the hits from thatcher's run on the indies you get to see a bunch of Oni Lorcan matches that are all that are awesome. You get some Matt, you get some Matt Riddle stuff that is great, culminating in Fight Pit, which I think is one of the best matches um, of 2020. You get the tag, you get the tag team stuff, and a whole bunch of scattered TV stuff all around. And I know that right, what I'm saying right now might not be the most compelling case, but every time Thatcher showed up on NXT TV, he was just he was just awesome. In every in every capacity, in every in every situation, every setting, whether it's doing the stuff with whether it's doing the stuff with uh, with Riddle, doing the stuff with Champa, uh, 
He was always he's been a really good tag worker for the last few years since Ring since Ring Conf, and that didn't that didn't show any signs of slowing down coming to NXT and teaming with other people and everything like that. And he was a guy that was just constantly impressive every time out on NXT TV. And we all know the and we all know Thatcher's quality as a wrestler. We all know Thatcher is a great worker. We're not concerned about Thatcher being able to have good good matches, but it's about would he be given the rope? Would he be given the chances to be himself? Would he be given the chances to just be Timothy Thatcher and not have to change too much of who he is in order to fit on NXT TV? I think the answer wound up being a resounding, no, this guy barely had to change anything. If you really pay close attention to Thatcher and examine him, he has WWE-level facial expressions already. He didn't need to change much of his expressive nature because he's already very expressive when it comes to his face and mannerisms and body language without having to spend a year in the PC learning how to work the cameras. That's a very that's a very natural thing for him. So I do give a lot of points here for Thatcher to being able to come into that environment with a lot of uncertainty, not knowing how things were going to work out for him. And I think for the most part, things worked out really good for him, having some of the best matches of the year. And in a world where the Triple H NXT continues to live, I'm not sure he becomes this big star or whatever, but I think he's a guy that would continue to get time, tag tag title pushes, North American title stuff, or whatever, and be thrown into the mix. And obviously, he just wound up getting released recently. He has no future in the Bruce Prichard, Vince McMahon era of NXT 2.0. But I think it was a really, really solid uh, case for Thatcher, especially in an all in a, especially in an all time sense to think. Can this guy adapt to a to a mainstream wrestling setting and it wound up being a resounding yes? Yeah, no, you know, and that you know that WXW weekend that's like technically like the last thing to happen before the pandemic is. Uh, there's definitely a lot of stuff in there that's really worthwhile. Uh, Akata, ah, Akeda, and uh, Ishikawa had some amazing, phenomenal matches, including stuff with like Dan Makabe, the Ambition Tournament, um, and. Uh, Yes, the Thatcher match there with like it's kind of a match or team swap with a ring conf and uh, the uh, the battle arts guys. Um, everything you said there is spot on. Uh, funny thing here, just note this is very funny on the on his cage match profile. It lists uh, Timothy Thatcher's trainers, one of them as WWE Performance Center, uh, as if he tra- was trained by <laughs> WWE at all. It's fucking ridiculous. This is awesome. Yeah. All right, my twenty five. Um, similar to yours in the, maybe some people might say crazy to have him this high, uh, with such a limited output. Um, but I think again, pandemic, pandemic vibes, pandemic, and also more than just in-ring matches, but importance and how he stands out. Uh, my number 25 is CM Punk. Okay. I didn't have, I didn't have Punk on your list, but I'm not mad at the inclusion. Yeah, I uh, couldn't blame you, but I just feel like the guy has arguably like three or four match of the year contender level matches in 2021. Um, Basically, every match that he has is phenomenal. Um, It might be, like I said, very super limited, but the guy has hit the ground running. Um, just one of the best, most interesting characters in all of wrestling for the entire pandemic stands out huge for that. Um, and just everything he's done to prove his case as a draw. We've talked about it over and over again with the, the hall of fame case and all this stuff. So yeah, CM Punk, 
maybe doesn't have a ton there, but to me, that's why he's just like right at that marker of the top 25, you know, like at the very low end of that number 25. In fact, like too important, too many great matches in a, in a super down year, I think makes him stand out as an, you know, one of the more important wrestlers of the pandemic. Yeah. You can't argue against that. Like the last time CM Punk was in a wrestling match, um, prior to 2021, I was, I think I was 16 years old. So, like, to see, like, him coming back from that long of a gap and not only coming back and it feeling like this nostalgia feel-good story, but actually being good and actively having great matches and actively having stuff that's going to be on my top 100 of the of the pandemic, you, there's not, there's, there's not much of an argument you can make, you can make against him. I'm, I'm I'm with you there, and then if you go with the sprinkled in TV stuff with Lee Mor with Lee Moriarty or Powerhouse Hobbs and stuff like that, as we're as we're recording, it's a Wednesday, and we're gonna be we're missing CM Punk versus MJF, or we're seeing what CM Punk could uh could drag it could drag out of MJF tonight. But this guy has come back and has done nothing but be great, whether it's in tags, singles, or whatever. He's He's delivered, so I don't have anything against your case for Mr. Punk there. My number 24 is someone you have higher. I have Kevin Koo. Yeah, I definitely have him higher. Um, so my 24, you may have higher, but in a different way. So I'll say my number 24, and this was a weird one for me, but I have The Elite. Okay. The um, Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Basically. All right. I have them separate and higher. Right. So um, uh, we can hold off then and we'll talk about them when we when we uh, when we get to you having them, I guess. Separately. All right. No problem. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My number 23 then is Finn Balor. I do not have Finn Balor on my list. Okay. Now. This one is a little tricky, too, because for 2021, Finn Balor got brought up after the Karrion Cross match at TakeOver, and then the main roster run really hasn't been much of note. But in 2020, in the early part of 2021, Finn Balor looked like the best wrestler in the world at some times. Whether it was facing Pete Dunne, whether it was facing Kyle O'Reilly, facing Timothy Thatcher, facing Adam Cole, Jin everything that he brought to TV as the as the NXT champ or just the lead guy on NXT television was just magnetic. He was fantastic individually in all these matches, whether it was like a, a really forgot a forgotten match that was really good of his early on in 2020. Is you do you even remember NXT Takeover Portland? That was Which that was match? that was like really that was really early in 2020. Do you remember that show? Not, not off the top of my head, but I probably remember the match because Balor had a ton of great matches. Yeah, he faced Johnny Gargano. And, like, that match is oh, totally yeah, yeah, forgotten. That and that match yeah. is awesome. And that's the kind of, like, stuff that Balor has that you may forget about because of other stuff that was going on and it might not have been super spectacular. But he has stuff like that, stuff like stuff facing Thatcher, the Kyle O'Reilly matches speak for themselves. The Pete Dunn match was the best beat was the best Pete Dunn match in years, in my opinion. And he was must see TV every time he was on the screen. 
uh, facing facing Roderick Strong, doing whatever. And everything about Finn Balor as NXT champion was was fantastic. Honestly, like there's no other there's no other way for me to phrase it. I mean it when I say that at times he felt like he could be the best wrestler in the world. And I remember talking about Finn Balor when we did the top 50 of the decade and I had Finn on my list. And I said, I don't think Finn has ever been someone that you would say like, oh, Finn's the best wrestler in the world. But for a brief moment in time in 2020 and parts of 2021, I felt like there was a case for Finn. And you can argue for different people. A lot of people will say Shingo, Tanahashi, excuse me, Shingo or Tanahashi, maybe a Darby or Will Ospreay, whoever that you want to say. But I truly believe that for a period of time, Finn Balor was right up there with the best of them. And it's a shame that his main roster run, uh, his return to the main roster has been to de- has been defined by that terrible ending to that Roman Reigns match at, at Extreme Rules and all the goofiness and stupid shit there. But if he had a better main roster run, he could be higher. But based off what he did in NXT as the champ and being the lead guy there, I had to have him this high. I'm super high on all of his work. And again, I, I honestly wish I could have him higher. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, stood out there early on. Like you talked about everything you said there um, and uh, and had like a really strong uh, showing in NXT while he was the champion. Obviously, you know, to me, that's like a very, very minimal amount of stuff. And then I didn't pay attention after that when he went back up to the main roster. So don't know. But yeah, there was that was kind of honestly that NXT title run to me might be his peak run as a singles wrestler, um, not including, uh, you know, the tag team stuff. Uh, that he did early on, but as a singles wrestler, that might actually be the the peak for for him uh, output wise as a singles wrestler. Maybe not the you know not his biggest star drawing or any of that stuff, but his best consistent match after the match uh, run that he's ever had. So I can definitely see that helping his his case quite a bit. Um, even I think better in ring match quality wise than his junior run and all that stuff because you know it turned into the Bullet Club shtick and all that. Even if those matches were good. Um, in a different way with storyline and character and things. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I guess this will be my 23. We are kind of zipping through these already. Uh, Dominic Garini. Yeah, I had Dom down at... Um, where the fuck did I have Dominic Garini? I don't remember you calling him. I haven't marked him. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll take him off my list. He was an honorable mention. He was an honorable mention okay. for me. He's a 52. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, Dom had a, a bit of a break, but I kind of checked it out and looked over his run. And honestly, his break, like, it just felt longer than it was, especially because Kevin Koo was doing so much during that time. But really, he was not out for a super extended period of time comparatively, especially with um, COVID limiting so many people's wrestlers. He, he has, like, his last match, um, it's in uh, May, April. Um, uh, or May, yeah, April of 2021. And then he's back by December or yeah. So four months, maybe not huge. When you look at the course of COVID, if this was just a 2021 list, sure. But the two years it's like, no, he's got a pretty solid 2020, um, being basically the, you know, part of the best tag team in the world and continuing to have great singles matches, especially stuff in AIW, but also, uh, PPW as they're getting off the ground with their kind of hybrid shoot fighting thing i uh icw no holds barred is a, like a fucking phenomenal place for dominic's style to stand out you know what i mean so 
repeatedly having phenomenal matches all over the place, again, continuing to bolster the record as the greatest, one of the greatest tag teams in the world. Uh, minimal break in there. Another guy who, you know, the, the conversation about having match of the year contender level matches starts getting into the, okay, the guy's got to make the list when so he has so many matches that are in that conversation. Um, and just, again, repeatedly proving it over and over again, mixing up different styles, get a little bit of deathmatch Dom, but not as much here, but as like more as indie wrestling kind of deathmatch affies itself a little bit more, he does, I won't say calms down, but he definitely, um, he seems to be more like he's having like hardcore brawls with gimmicks and stuff. He's not necessarily a deathmatch wrestler when the entire scene starts turning into hardcore deathmatches, you know? So his stuff, I won't say it comes across tame, but his stuff isn't as wild as what ends up becoming the norm, but he still stands out because he's fucking better at working a wild brawl with, with gimmicks than basically anybody else. And he could do more to me with, you know, uh, like a couple chairs and, and, uh, and maybe like a, you know, a table or two than a lot of guys can do with like a hundred light tubes and thumbtacks and all this. He doesn't need all that to make his shit work. Um, <laughs> the best match that I've seen Akira ever have. I'll give him that. You know, I don't, not a big fan of Akira, but the, uh, uh, PWP match that he had with Akira, I thought was f like really good. So again, feather in the cap for Dom, a guy who can basically work anybody, uh, makes one of his students in big Twan Tucker look like a million bucks in ICW. Um, you know, tag team talked about tag team match, probably tag team match of the pandemic with the lost boys. Um, it's not the it's not the uh, voices of wrestling match of the year. I wouldn't call that the best tag team match that I saw over the course of the pandemic personally, but I know maybe that's just me. Um, but yeah, the guy just uh, fucking rules. Like I said, layoff wasn't huge and uh, and uh, wild. And then you get dream match like the Minoru Suzuki match, which you know obviously he wasn't at his peak, and it wasn't as great of a dream match as you would hope. But it was uh, definitely a lot of fun. And uh, caused me to have a COVID scare because I was in the building with Nor Suzuki like the day before the match. And then uh, it turned out that everybody else that was at that building got COVID. So that was fun. Um, so that's Dom Garini. I think that maybe I didn't go I didn't go back enough to appreciate Dom's case just because it felt like he was out longer than he actually was. So, you know, I have all your opinions. So I'll take your word for it that maybe Dom had a better case than a... Uh, than I, than, I, than I actually looked into, but, you know, Dom's definitely won me over the last few years. Uh, you remember at first I was pretty critical of Dom, and I think that he's very much evolved into someone that I do I do enjoy on a consistent and regular basis. So it, it definitely could have been a thing where I just didn't look deeply enough into his resume to see if those gaps were as serious as I as um as they were in my head. Yeah, no, exactly. Like I said, his the time his time off felt very big. Because during it, Kevin Koo felt like he did so much that it felt like, damn, Dom's been gone forever. But when I went and looked at it, I'm like, he's actually not been gone that long. And talking about early on with, with Dom, it just reminds me, I think the first time I saw Dom, he was like a last minute replacement for someone in an AIW, maybe in a tournament. And I think he was wrestling either Tom Lawler or uh, uh, Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. And he was a last minute replacement. And I was like, who's this? you know jack off coming in and getting this spot that he doesn't deserve and he had a kick-ass match and then a little bit after that they gave him a match with zach saber jr when zach was mm -hmm. at the peak and i was like 
that fucking jack off that had no gear and stupid haircut they're giving him a high profile match like this what the what the fuck he doesn't deserve that shit and then obviously after that i was 100 percent in on dom but it was it's very funny to remember thinking of him as like who's this loser yeah it's a it's pretty good all right my number 22 is tam nakano uh i have her higher as i bet you, you would have predicted um, wow number, really okay oh yeah <laughs> My, uh, I would have assumed you would have known that. Um, my number 22 is Daniel Makabe, who I think you had back at, uh, something. I had, had him already. Yeah, I, I had, I had Dan at 43. 43. Okay. Um, so yeah, Dan, another one I talked about that big weekend, uh, right before the pandemic hit. Um, he not only had WXW, but he also wrestled, uh, uh where else did he wrestle he wrestled in um what's it called oh why can't i think of it that that british promotion um well he wrestled in a couple but one of them actually made tape and the other one did not and i'm having a hard time remembering not pcw um yeah actually you know what that that is right i was i was thinking of something else um because he's wrestled in tidal wave before and uh he did not that weekend he wrestled in pcw in three matches that I've wanted to see but have never made tape, including one with Russ Taylor um, that I think would be pretty good. But the stuff that we did see was the WXW stuff, right? Which included kick-ass tag team match with Chris Ridgway versus the the Battle Arts Boys, which we talked about. Um, I think, does he end up winning that ambition? Um, he does. <laughs> he beats Chris Ridgway in a kick-ass final, um, making up for, you know, an ambition where he makes up for... Uh, for the shoot Spanish fly that everyone still gives him uh, a hard time for. Um, doesn't do much in the 16 karat tournament, except for have a badass match with Eddie Kingston, who this is before Eddie goes on his insane terror that finally gets Eddie the recognition that he deserves, which is kind of funny to think about um, that, uh, that Dan Makabe had a match with Eddie Kingston. That was right before, you know, we were all talking about how good Eddie was, but it was before basically the entire world went crazy for him. Um, and this is again, like I said, this all happened right before the shutdown, but he actually has a solid amount of matches even before that. Um, so like in 2020, before that, he has a few really good matches. Um, there's a hair versus title match against Jaden, which I think is really fucking good. Um, he has, uh, he has the match with Kevin Koo from Sup. That's awesome. He's got the, the Judas Icarus match. Yeah, yeah. you're about to say the Judas Icarus match. Well, like the, the from January 2020. Yeah, he's got uh, the Solid Seal title match with Desi Duarte, which I think might be like her second or her second to last or last uh, title match with that belt that she t- technically holds, uh, which was really fucking good. And from some stories that I've heard, a bit of a miracle working job from Daniel Makabe because of the the state that she was in in the match, which is kind of impressive um, to think about if you go back and watch that match. The Liza Hall match, which is phenomenal as well. Like, yeah, a lot of good stuff even before that. Then you've got the stuff in St. Louis Anarchy for the Strong Style series, which if you remember that, the Tom Shire match is really fucking good. Um, I think like the second Kurt Stallion match that he's had that I didn't love, but it was fine. Uh, you know, so he's got all that. He's uh, then throughout the pandemic. Remember this, the Lee Moriarty match at uh, Sup Swing mm-hmm. and the Axe kind of early on in Lee Moriarty getting out there and kind of putting the putting the the the, the kind of the 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 cosign on Lee Moriarty and more and more people starting to talk about him. And, and you know, 
you can debate if he got if he ended up a little bit overrated or not whatever but uh, that was early on in kind of building the let's say the uh the the myth of lee moriarty best wrestler in the world right um scenic city invitation i've talked about that uh just how much i enjoyed the second eric royal match the adam priest match is awesome so tons of really good stuff even a very limited case but tons of great stuff and including i don't know i would have to really go through everything and to say this for sure but possibly his best match of the uh pandemic and possibly one of the best matches for me of the entire pandemic, the Nicole Matthews match in, in on NEW number one show. That match fucking rules. It's so good. Like, highly recommend people go check that out. Uh, just such a really fucking good match from two old-time pros who have not, you know, wrestled, had never wrestled before, I guess. And they just, they gave it all. That match is a fucking gem, and I really recommend people check it out. So, yeah, that's my uh, that's my Makabe case there. I don't think I could argue against a Makabe case. I think that... Before the pandemic, he's great. I think that in the in the midst of everyone trying to come back and get wrestling to feel normal again, he comes back and is great. He has an, he has a period where I think he has to adjust a little bit and get back to get back to normal, which is makes sense for a lot of people, especially someone like Dan who has such a long layoff from wrestling. But then once Dan gets back into the swing of things, he felt like again one of the best wrestlers in North America. Like he's been the whole time, in which we've been aware of him. So no real case against. Dan, for me there, um, just wish maybe we got we would have got a little bit more to judge to judge him off of. But the sample size that we have, I can definitely understand him landing where he did landing where he did for you. All right. So you have Tam higher than me, which I'm still super was I'm still super super shocked by. So my number twenty one, someone that you definitely won't have, the head of the table, the tribal chief no, Roman Reigns. No Roman Reigns. Um, you had. Tam twenty three. Tam at twenty uh twenty two. Who'd you have at twenty three? Twenty three was Balor. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. So no, no Roman Reigns for me. Um, doing some of the best work I'll say of his career for my for my money, but uh, yeah, no WWE. So go ahead, go for it. So, I don't love a lot of the rain stuff that people might have uh loved. Like, I'm not super enthused about the Edge match. I'm not super enthused about the Jey Uso match. Like, they're fine. I don't love them, though. And then a lot of... Ro- and then Roman really doesn't wrestle on TV anymore. So, like, it's a very scattered case. But the Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens stuff from 2020 is fucking fantastic. It's really good. The Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan stuff is really good too, and I like him enough. And I, and we've always said with the top with this top fifty that we do is that we do mainly judge in ring, but we also do leave it open to consider other things. And to finally see Roman do what he's what he should have been doing since twenty fourteen, and that's just be the entitled arrogant cocky million dollar million dollar looking heel it's it's natural for him and he should have been doing it this whole time and to finally get it is a sense of confirmation like oh my god we fucking told you why were you guys such stubborn assholes and not listening and it's great to see him actually just go out there and do it and not just do it thrive at it and gets in 
evolved to the point where he's one of the best promos in wrestling for my money on a week-in, a week-out basis. But I feel like he mostly delivers in the ring, too, at least on an individual performance level. Like, on a level in a, in a, in a whole sense. Do I like the Roman Reigns and Edge match? No, it's Edge in 2021 in a bloated, long match that I feel like Edge shouldn't be doing and never had the depth to do in his career in the first place. But I also think Roman Reigns' performance in it is very good. Do I like the Jey Uso Hell in a Cell match? No, it feels, again, long in a way that's out of Jey Uso's depth and explores some ideas, but touches them on the surface and gets a little hokey and dramatic. But I think Roman Reigns is individually very good in that match. And I think that he has two match of the, match of the year contenders with Daniel Bryan to help take him over the edge. And I can't stress enough how good the Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens stuff is from the end of 2020, bleeding into the beginning of 2021. And those two have fantastic chemistry. They've always had fantastic chemistry. And that was the best stuff on WWE programming for a while until you get to Roman versus Bryan. So that's that's Roman for me. If he wrestled on TV more, I could have him higher. The stuff he's done on TV, like the... The, the, the matches teaming with teaming with the Usos and the six-man tag against New Day and stuff like that. It's all good. It's all very good. So what we do get of Roman, I've I've enjoyed for the most part. And I wish we had more. I can see people having having him higher based off different criteria. Or if you or if you loved certain matches more than I did, but that's where I fell with him. Yeah, yeah. I uh, can't argue with that. Um for a lot of different reasons. Um, my number twenty-one, <laughs> like, not, like, like not seeing, the, like not seeing uh, the matches. Yeah, a good chunk of it I haven't seen. The character stuff I've loved. I saw some some matches that I really was not a fan of. I'll say for I'll say to be honest, um, stuff that was a little bit over the top. But his character work has been great. And honestly, it's the booking stuff that hurts and and doing the soap opera stuff in ring. But like you know, again, that's booking and stuff. So can't blame him too much for that. He's hitting uh, at the at the top of his top of his powers when it comes to everything else honestly it really is great to see him finally do what we would have predicted if you're one of the rare psychopaths who saw his like two-time appearances on nxt or you saw the stuff that he was doing in fcw before nxt yeah where you, where you, wait, when you saw him in nxt before they called before they put him on ice for the shield when you look at his promos wearing the suit and you're like oh yeah there, there's something here and then it's just no we're just we're just not going to come back to that yeah Never go back to and finally get to it in a totally different way, different, you know, setup and all this. But the same, you know, structure is there, which is like probably part of his personality and what makes him cool and work. Um, and then pairing him with Heyman, obviously, is super fun because while I heard I've heard people say this is the worst of this is the worst work of Heyman's career. And I can't argue with that necessarily as a character, maybe, but it's still fun. The back and forth between Heyman and and Reigns and honestly, like. Heyman is an interesting one because he's there's got so much fucking baggage and so much backstage, this and that, and then his career is so different. But realistically, as an on-screen character, I think Paul Heyman is a Hall of Fame level manager. If you went just I think, on- I think, I think Heyman's I think Heyman's the best on-screen character in wrestling history. Like I think yeah. if you to, like go from manager, commentator, his on-screen presence as an authority figure, I think like I mean, people, all people say Bobby Heenan. I've always said I don't love Bobby Heenan as much as a lot of other people do. I think Paul Heyman is, like, for me, without a doubt, the best on-screen character in wrestling history. Yeah, and see, I mean, that's... 
exactly like kind of what I'm thinking, kind of what I'm saying, and you even go above and beyond what I would what I would have said there. Um, it's just that I would say saying that this is the worst work of Heyman's career is still saying a lot because he's so fucking good. Um, so yeah, and and him and Roman are great together. So it's it's been it's been perfect, like you said, for Roman. Um, my number twenty one. I would be I kind of would be shocked if you had him higher than this, but I couldn't not have him on my list. But I guess it's possible that you do. Kenosuke Takashita. I have him higher. Okay. Okay. I uh, thought I was like we're at this point, and I'm like, maybe you just don't have him. But okay. I have I have him, and we'll have a we'll have a conversation about him. I do have him higher. Um, my number twenty, a guy that you've been bad mouthing for a year now, uh, Lee Moriarty. Lee Moriarty, yes, I have been burying him six feet under. Um, I had him all the way back at number 41. Um, I just, I think that he's gotten overblown a bit. People's opinion of him has has gone over the top. Um, I think that he's been shown a little bit to not be at the level that, you know, that uh, I was hoping he would be by now. But I still think he's very talented and very entertaining. Um, but let's hear your your take on Lee Moriarty. I think if you look at Lee Moriarty on a talent basis, he is one of the most talented guys to come into wrestling in the last however many years. And I feel like that talent shines individually, very bright in matches in a way that I can't deny or understate when it comes to his fundamental understanding of just how to do things proficiently and make them look cool make them look dangerous make them look like they hurt his own charisma in the ring the way he sells everything about him on an individual basis i feel like shines really well does that connective tissue always exist in every match of his no it doesn't in the same way that lee moriarty versus alex shelley being in the ring with a guy that's better than him it may exist there or even something like Lee Moriarty versus Darius Lockhart, someone that you could say is more of a contemporary for Lee, there, it's like, that connective tissue is there, but it's not there all the time for, say, like, Lee versus, uh, like, Lee versus Yuta, or whatever, for that for the IWTV title, which is a very good match. A very good match, but then we look at something like Daniel Garcia versus Wheeler Yuta for the, for the title that goes 60, and, like, to me, that's when you see the gap between understanding of pro wrestling that Garcia has and Moriarty has. Not that the talent level is any different. I feel like they're just as talented as each other. You can make a case that you feel like Lee is more talented. But in terms of understanding how to ma- how to maximize the most out of your time and how to leave a lasting impression, Lee and Wheeler get like get halfway there. Garcia and Wheeler as a combination take it the full way. And that separation is what gets Garcia higher than Lee on both of our lists, I imagine. But what I see, Lee, I see someone that has the matches, has great stuff that I'm considering for my top 100. All of his matches are good. Are they great? No, but I can't sit there and say that when Lee Moriarty's on a card and a Lee Moriarty's announced for a match, I'm like, oh, I'm on, uh, that Lee Moriarty match was just fine. It might not be amazing, but it's still good. Quarter teetering very good, and sometimes can be great. Like Alex Shelley, like John, like Jonathan Gresham, 
like like Daniel Gar- like Daniel Makabe, uh, like Darius Lockhart, stuff that will be in stuff that I will be considering to make my 100, and then other scattered stuff like facing Daniel Garcia on AW Dark and getting and getting and getting and getting time to mess around with Matt with Matt Seidel and and Dante Martin on AEW te- television and even something like him facing Edith Edith, uh, Edith Surreal and uh getting the getting the most getting the most out of her uh when when she like she's like improved drastically but doesn't have a ton of great matches under her belt yet either and i think that Lee Moriarty has a super high floor his floor is insanely high. I think that a Lee Moriarty match, you can see it announced and it's announced for a card, and you're like, okay, that can that's gonna be three and a half stars. That's gonna be at least watchable, maybe the best match on the show. I think what Lee needs to work on is taking that next step and having those matches that really stick with you and connect with you throughout the year, throughout the month, throughout whatever period of time. And he doesn't have many of those yet. But I think he all he has all the potential to do so. But I understand the criticisms of Lee that maybe it was a little bit too much too soon, a little overblown because of a dried up US indie scene, which is all true. You can like Lee Moriarty and acknowledge that these things are true. But I still see him, see his talent, look at him on shows on a regular basis whenever he pops up, see see how he lives on AEW, how he doesn't look out of place in the ring with a guy like CM Punk. And I still see all that same stuff on an individual basis. Lee Moriarty is still so good. And I don't know. I, I would feel weird not having him where I have him on this list. I can't imagine having him lower. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all very fair. I get where you're coming from on that. I think, I think he's missing realism, the kind of killer instinct, the aggressiveness. But as you said, about as physically talented and as the as they come honestly uh athletic obviously has a natural charisma and likability that makes you want to root for him which is something that's hard to come by uh you know just that natural baby face that everyone wants to get behind but yeah i think he's as you talked about something that sticks with you and i've seen him respond to this criticism in a way that makes me think like either he doesn't get it or he doesn't want to get it in that he kind of acts like i can do that and i have done all that and i you know whatever and that's fine if that's not what you want to do that's not what you want to do but i mean it's a similar to the kind of criticisms that people gave to early on to to saber um and then when he started to become more aggressive and violent you know what i mean and and kind of show off that side of it is that he 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 feels like 2013 zach like he feel he feels like 2013 2014 Zach if I had to, if I had to make a comparison. No, exactly. Exactly. And I think that Saber kind of gives the same thing. The you know, I'm just doing my kind of wrestling and I'm having fun and I not all wrestling has to be like that and I, that's fine. You can say that all you want, but I just think that to be great and to be considered great, unfortunately, wrestling has to come across like a fight and come across real. And uh, if you're not willing to wrestle that style, then I don't think I think that there's a limit. And then you talked about amazing floor, insane potential, likable through the roof, instantly invest in whatever he's doing. I can watch him basically wrestle anyone and get something out of it and enjoy it. At the end of it, though, I don't always, yeah, like you said, walk away with it with a big time memory, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. But yeah, maybe I'm not invested in it emotionally um, as much as I should be. Um, Did you see the him do the the masked wrestler stuff? No, I didn't. 
that was all pretty interesting and good, especially going back and watching it, knowing that it's him under the mask. He he does a couple little things that are similar, but also not enough to give it away completely on who it is. Um, but even now, like being more familiar with him than I was at the time, it kind of stands out even more. Um, and there's also this I want to check out. So and I did not PPW. It's a UWFI rules match. Lee Moriarty versus Max the Impaler. Um, so it's under five minutes, so who knows how much is there, but that's interesting for me to want to go back and check out because I'm, I'm pretty high on Max the Impaler now. Did not make my list, um, but just recently have started to really appreciate their work, so I would like to go check that out. Um, but yeah, again, I think just missing something there, uh, that, that, that kind of killer instinct. One person here, you know, he had a, a fun match with Brian Keith, who unfortunately did not make my list. Probably could have if I had dug a little bit deeper, but Brian Keith is like the opposite. I mean, Brian Keith actually has maybe a little bit too much Killer Instinct and not enough like Flash and you know what I mean. Like he's a guy who uh, you have to know what you're what you're expecting, and then you watch him and, and it's well worth it. But he's not a guy who jumps off the page the same way that Lee does, big personality and gets your attention, but does have like that. Once you start watching, it's believable. And it seems like he's trying to kill somebody, you know, and that's kind of what I think Lee needs is a little bit more of that. Um, I think that if you, if you look at Lee, his match that really blends that is the Darius Lockhart match. And I think that's why both of us love it so much. Cause it's almost like quintessential. What we kind of fell in love about Zach formula, the escalate, the escalation, the playfulness in the beginning, the camaraderie, the one on one upsmanship that eventually dissolves into saltiness and chippiness and getting aggressive. And we saw that from Lee, and it's like, we know it's there. You understand wrestling. You are a wrestling nerd. I know that you understand wrestling, but it's, you know, he wants to wrestle the way he wants to wrestle, and that's fine. But when you have something like that that's so good that for me is my U.S. indie, that's like, you know, that's second from my U.S. indie match of the year. You know, it's like, well, like, well, damn, like, I know you can do that, man. Like, do it more. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know. Again, it's that this is what I want you to do. And this is I and honestly, sometimes for me, it's not even just selfishly. This is what I want. Right. Because if I was going to be selfish and say this is what I want, I'd be like, sure, man, go out there and wrestle like world of sport, British rounds, rules style. If this was, if this was pure selfishness, we'd be saying go out there and do Zoltan Bostic spots. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But what I'm saying is like, I think that if you want to be a star and, and have more people really invest in you, you need to have a little bit more of this aggressiveness just for the overall like thing. Like, yeah, again, I mean, I, I love what he's doing and I would say, turn it up, do even more world of sport, man. I don't fucking care. I love that stuff. But yeah, I just think for his career and, and, to have more output he needs to switch it up a little bit um number 20 maybe you have this guy higher maybe not hangman page i had hangman earlier i had hangman oh. at 37 okay oh yes 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 you did okay so close close there uh, 17 apart uh not our biggest could, gap I, by far i could Go i ahead. could ha i could have i could have hangman higher now that i look at this i feel like i could have hangman higher but i don't feel terrible about where i have him no, I think, I think Hangman is honestly, for me, is a guy that I could understand a case for number one and a case for the bottom of the list. Like, anywhere in between makes sense. We start out the pandemic in 2020, and I am not a Hangman page lover. You know, uh, you know, you've been with me through this. I was not super high on him in AEW. I've not been super high on him for a while at this point. Um... Early on, I loved him, but he kind of hit a brick wall for me and then really came into his own. Um, 
I the Kenny and Hangman stuff kind of starts out 2020 and I think is decent and then I felt like after that he he meanders a little bit and he kind of goes all over the place but we talked about it at the time that it made sense and it was booked well but I just feel like lost some focus took some time off obviously all that but has come back insanely strong um really built his way back up into the title picture and even winning the championship um the matches with Brian Dan- I guess only one match technically counts, but the match with Brian Danielson, phenomenal, obviously. The title match with Kenny Omega, I think we both were saying, like the best Adam Page performance probably yet. Um, just becomes like, yeah, such a workhorse, comes into his character, for me at least, super well. And I know that I was I was behind on it. Like that's why I say I could see someone having him all the way at number one. If you were into him from the beginning and some people were have been into this whole run like i could see having him insanely high because you were just were into it i was not into it stadium stampede we've talked about already we both really enjoyed it for what it was in the pandemic he's a big part of the fun of that riding on the horse going to the bar the whole nine yards with all of that so yeah i just think the kenny omega tag team the kenny omega semi feud or whatever the, the the title match build up failing to win the title winning the title building himself back up up and down coming into his own um really just an emotional roller coaster ride and you cap it off in the pandemic time with back to back best performance of his his career win winning the title and then probably the best match of his career in the 60 minute draw with brian danielson um and again whatever fudge it but you know the 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 second match which we haven't even talked about because the last time we did a regular podcast you hadn't watched yet which is crazy to think about but the second danielson match obviously um so yeah i just think hangman page insane pandemic really in a lot of ways um and uh yeah that's where you got him here number 20 yeah man you can argue that hangman is part of the the, the tag team of the year in 2020 with how good all of the stuff with Kenny Omega was. They were going out there and killing it every single time. You could argue Hangman has the match of the year in 2020 and 2021. Like, in with the the Bucks tag match against Hangman and Kenny, and the Danielson versus Hangman match in 2021. You could argue that he has the match of the year two years in a row, which is fucking insane to say, and... Something I would—I don't think I've ever would have thought would ever come in my mouth regarding um, regarding ha- Hangman Adam Page, but it's the truth. And he's been consistent—he's consistent on TV. He's fun on TV. Uh, and like there's there's sometimes where he where he's let me down. The Hangman versus Kenny match at full gear for me and you, we both acknowledge was, was sort of was sort of a letdown. And had us concerned about how Hangman's title run would go, but then he lands right back on his feet. With the with the Danielson stuff, and yeah, this this guy still has a lot to prove. This guy still has gone. This guy still has to really take that next level to become a star for AEW that matters and is super significant. But in the ring, for the last two years, I got I got to give him his due. And I wasn't always in love with him in Ring of Honor. I didn't I didn't I didn't always see. Why they were super into him. I liked him. I thought he was good. But I never saw him as a future of the company kind of guy. I th- I always felt that maybe they were putting too much on him. And not 
putting to but not putting enough stock into other people around him, uh, contemporaries of his that were I thought were better. But now when you see him, and I've mentioned and I've mentioned that I feel he feels like a fucking updated version of Sting. He feels like a guy that could be a that could be an updated version of Sting for this generation, for this audience, and for the people that are watching wrestling in twenty in twenty twenty two right now. And he has the work to back it up. His work has been consistent. Uh and yeah. I think that Hangman's gonna I think Hangman can have a really, really good twenty twenty two. Uh, we'll see what he does when he's not in the ring, standing across from the best wrestler of all time. But he showed me a lot of growth and a lot of what he can do and can be in that Danielson stuff that I do feel like Hangman can figure this out and Hangman can be on his way to becoming one of the best wrestlers in the world. Uh, now, what, what was that? What was that for you? That was number 20 for me. All right. My number 19 my number 19 is Konosuke Takashita. Okay. And I had him all the way back at uh, number 21. Okay. Yes. This is the least interesting Konosuke Takashita has ever been in his time in DDT. Yes, there's a lot of flaws with how DDT books Konosuke Takashita at this point in his career especially in 2021 where he went on this fucking rampage and dominated every tournament, won every title, did whatever after already being the ace for a bunch of years already with no real threat on the horizon and how how detrimental that could be to DDT's long-term booking. All of that is true. He is stale and pushed too hard after already being the ace. But goddamn, if you don't go through his cage match or go through whatever your match of the year sheet is, and he doesn't have a lot of really fucking good matches on it, it's it's sheer volume, sheer attrition, through through talent. Honestly, if you're bored of him, you're not gonna have his matches rated very highly, which is fine. I understand that. I'm not gonna argue with someone about that. But I I see I see this dude go out there, and. I still mostly like the matches. Not everything, not everything lands. The Okabayashi stuff didn't land for me either time. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, li- I didn't like the the uh, the GL match, and I didn't like the match at never at, at Nevermind either. That went like fucking thirty seven minutes or some shit, and that that didn't land for me at all. But then something like his Yuki Ueno match, which I like more than you, I thought it was fucking incredible in. I thought he was absolutely stellar in that match. He'll have something like the Junaki, like the Junakiyama match from 2020, and the Yuji Hino match from King of DDT, and other tag team stuff teaming with Mao facing a facing eruption. And six man and six man tags are always super consistent. He's a guy that busts his ass and everything. He still, after being on top, being the guy in DDT for so long at this point winning his first KOD title in 2016, he still works his ass off in every match he's in. I can't take that away from him. Despite how bored you may be of Konosuke Takashita, despite how annoying and repetitive the booking may be, despite how much you may want his character to change, even in the slightest bit, and I'm with you on all of those things. But ultimately, when I go back and I look at my match of the year tracker, when I look at my 
total matches watch tracker, and I look at how many highlighted matches Onesuke Takashita has, it's more than the vast majority of wrestlers on the list, and maybe more than a lot of the wrestlers above him, if I'm being honest. He has good matches. Point blank period, he has good matches, matches that I like. And if you can't get past the annoyance or repetitiveness of his character, of his style, maybe, you don't you never liked him, we're never into him, and now you're even less into him. But now, now that like now that they're really doubling down on this hardcore push of his, I totally get it. But I go through and look at my stuff and it's like goddamn the guy has a lot of good matches. I'm sorry. Nothing match of the year quality for me, really. Nothing that's that high up. But again, through volume, look at his work, look at his two years, you'd be hard-pressed to find to find people that have more good to great matches than Kanesuke Takashita. Yep, that's exactly the case and exactly where why he ended up where he did for me. Um, it feels... And honestly, this is low, right? Like, I had him at 21, you have him here at 19. Um... But it makes me think of the 2018 feeling kind of um, with like a with like Walter, where a lot of people were like match of, or wrestler of the year. Um, or was it 2017? And I was like a little bit burned out. It was it was it was, it was like, uh, 18, 18 was the big year for him. But 17 was yeah. when people like us were already like, oh, yeah, Walter, like he might be the wrestler of the year. 18 was PCO and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, yeah, it was like. 2018 and everyone like people were like saying consensus wrestler of the year hands down blah 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 and i was just kind of like burnt out to the point where i had him drop down that's just, it feels like a similar thing here with uh, takashita for but it's like it feels kind of opposite i feel like more people are like bur- so burnt out on him that they just are saying that he's bad um rather than like again like you said if you just look at the sheer volume especially when you talk about pandemic when a lot of people are not wrestling that much that he's been wrestling, he wrestled the entire pandemic, DDC really did not take much time off, um, and constantly having really solid good matches, like, you know, like, maybe you don't love everything, maybe th- some things are boring, or feel repetitive, samey, but if you're watching the quality, if you try to look at it with fresh eyes, and just appreciate what he's doing, uh, knocks it out of the park, like, you know, you could say even you could say he's batting like 500, you know, and he's not having great matches all the time, but he has enough there that it's really hard to keep him off the list. Um, there's just too much there. Like, again, I think we both agree uh, pretty strong there. Again, feels mega pushed, over pushed, all of that too much. Uh, constantly, you know, get wins every tournament this year, wins the title, all that stuff. But again, still just a lot there. Um uh, okay, so my number 19, um, I feel like is an interesting crossover with Takashita at your 19. Uh, this is almost, this is almost a match. We came close. Uh, Jun Akiyama. Uh, Jun Akiyama a little bit higher. Okay. All right. Now, uh, continue our DDT portion here. I have someone that you might have a little bit higher. I have Kazusada Higuchi. I do have him a little bit higher. Okay. Uh, so my number 18, you already had all the way back at number 24, I will say the king of the U.S. Indies, uh, officially, um, but on a technicality, Kevin Koo. Um, all right, yeah, Kevin Koo at 24 for me. Uh, yeah. Take it away here. Yeah, Kevin Koo, again, all the stuff I talked about with Dom when it comes to the tag team stuff obviously applies to Kevin Koo. He's in the matches. And the thing about violence is forever is... 
is that I feel like it's almost impossible to pick out the better member at this point. I think early on, there were probably people who were very strongly Dominic Guarini is the, the, the better of the two. Kevin Koo is just a hanger-on. I think maybe at some points people who are more familiar with Kevin Koo would say the opposite and look at Dom Guarini and say, who's this dork with the silly haircut, as I said when I first saw him, um, and but this badass guy that's with him is so much better. Whatever. But at this point, I think you just have to either like just be stuck in your ways and refusing to accept reality, and you're just like whatever you first thought is it, or you just are not really paying attention anymore. But these guys are so equal as a tag team that I can't... It, you, I could watch the same match, watch it two different times, and have different opinions on who was better. Honestly. Like, who had a better performance in that match? They're so fucking good. Every match, they're phenomenal. They're both so great together as a team. They work well together. Um, like, they're, they're double teams, the way that they tag in and out. They're on the same page mentally, physically, everything. It, these guys rule as a tag team. So, yeah, like I said, this is one of those cases where, like, the tag team stuff, it's a, it's both guys. You can't slurp it apart. Then the singles work that Kevin Coote has throughout the entire year or the entire pandemic, especially in 2021. But as I talked about, Dom is not really out that long. But Kevin Koo does have great stuff the entire year, not just when Dom's out. Um, so Tom Lawler match and Warrior, Warrior Wrestling, that's great. Singles match, two different singles matches with Dom Guarini that are great. Obviously, we both really like them. Um, the the Fred Yehai match in action is fucking phenomenal. There's an MLW match with Senshi. Uh, what the fuck was it, did his name used to be? Oh, God, I can't think of it. Um He's uh, the guy who broke his head on the double moonsault. Um, Shinron. And uh, yeah, Shinron. That match was actually like insanely good on MLW. Um, he also had an insanely good match with a uh, ACH on MLW, right? So like, yeah. The first Dominic Guarini match for the C4 and the Limitless titles uh, for the uh, during WrestleMania weekend. That match is phenomenal. Like I mentioned, the second Dom Guarini match in ICW is great. Then he shows up in Limitless and has this fucking banger with Alec Price. And that was kind of the start of the Kevin Koo in Limitless stuff. Um, has an insane match with uh, Kevin Blackwood, also in Limitless. Kick-ass match with Adam Priest. Like, yeah, this guy just fucking rules. The more focused you've seen him in singles work. Matt Mikowski match, Calvin Tankman match. Like, over and over again, banger after banger. Like, solid everything he does. Comes across like a killer, violent, aggressive, snappy. Brian Keith match on my, like, match of the year list. The guy is so fucking great. Um, highly recommend everything Kevin Koo does. Just really came into his own in 2021 as a singles wrestler. Insane tag team stuff. Just, like I said, on a, I'll say on a technicality, uh, American, the king of the American indies. The best wrestler, for my money, on my list, who makes their case 100% on the U.S. indies. Kevin Koo. Yeah, it's been an interesting... Last like three or four years for Koo, hasn't it? The the forming of violence is forever. And I feel like the narrative kind of shifting that Dominic Guarini was head and shoulders above Koo, I think I think was the narrative for a couple of years. And you could argue whether I, whether that was true or not. But then how quickly Kevin Koo started to change it around and how people started to take notice of how good he was. And you got to remember that Kevin Koo was a relative unknown guy before... Dominic Green started teaming with him, and he was in the in the southeast doing doing shows, doing whatever. But it's not like he was 
a marquee wrestler in the Southeast, I would say. I don't think that's controversial or whatever to say, is it? No, definitely not. He was not well known, and he's not really a Southeast guy. Because he got trained in mm. New England, and he was he was trained by Brian Fury and came down to the South. So it wasn't as if yeah. he had a name there. Yeah, but and that's, and that's what he mostly gets associated with. And he's here, and we've been aware of who. I think we thought he was fine or whatever when we, when we first saw him. But then he really came into his own. And I think that guy is what Koo style they almost they do kind of kind of feel like they're trying to be someone else when you first see them, and then it takes a while for them to figure out who they want to be in terms of being that kind of wrestler. And I think that Koo, once he put his mind to it, figured that figured that out very very quickly that he can be like, oh, I can be funny when I do some of this stuff too. I don't have to be super serious, kicky guy all the time, and and everything. I think that he found a way to put humor into his wrestling while throwing in that say the same, the same badass striking and throwing and head drops or whatever that we all want to see. And I think that's what, that's what's made Koo and Dom for that matter, have that kind of longevity, have that kind of uh, run that they're on now as violence is forever is that it feels like they're not just confined to being these big, badass, tough guys. There's a level of humor to them, accessibility to them in their work and how they wrestle a little humanity to them, that they take them over the top, and I think that especially applies to Koo. Yeah, Koo's personality coming out is phenomenal, and, you know, he's a friend of a friend, but I don't I don't know him well, but based on, like, what I hear from people, it's, it's good because he seems like he is a very likable guy outside of wrestling, and you're finally seeing that. And I think... For me, when I first started seeing Kevin Koo, my, my takeaway on him was that he was the king of the scramble match. I thought that he was really good at actually like making sure that he stood out and was good in a scramble match. But other than that, did not see much to him. Just kind of like, oh, you know, this guy is really good in a scramble. That's what he's good at. Otherwise, eh, whatever, you know, he's fine. Uh, but yeah, again, like you said, comes uh, comes together here and really starts to to put it together as a as a, a more full fully formed wrestler um again number 17 for me where did you have him or no number 18 for me uh you had him at number 24 yeah and my number 17 is someone that you'll have higher since you haven't said him yet it is yuki ueno uh yes i do have him higher uh so okay. my number 17 i believe you had at number 26 Look at me. I'm doing this list. I'm, I'm, uh, it's kind of weird, but I'm doing it. Um, Fuminora Abe. Um, yeah, Abe 26 for me. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll let you go ahead and, and talk about Abe first. Feel free. Okay. Now, we both haven't said this person's name, so I think it's safe to assume that we both have Takuya Nomura higher. Yes. Like, that's to get that out of the way. Do I think Takuya Nomura is better than Fuminori Abe? No, not really. I give them the same credit for being part of Astronauts, for being the, uh, being part of the best tag team in the world. I think that Nomura just gets to do more as a singles guy. You know, has gotten to do more of substance as a singles guy. And we'll get to that when we get to Nomura. But Abe is just a fucking firecracker that makes anything that he's a part of just so much better. And that doesn't matter where he is. If he's in All Japan, if he's in Big Japan, if he's in Basara, if he's in if he's in Six Six Six, if he's in Hard Hit, if he's in wh- wherever, whatever scuzzy, dirty indie, he's at. 
he 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 makes it better. Fuminori Abe can wrestle in a fucking closet, and I think that it would be a ridiculously good match. He would find a way to make it a good match. He's funny, he's energetic, he's charismatic. His body lang- his body language is one of a kind. His strike his striking is top notch. His technical proficiency is really good. He's strong on the mat. He can do short stuff, title matches, tag title matches, six man tags, do whatever. If Fuminori Abe always steals the show. It has been like that for a few years. If Fuminori Abe didn't always make my top fifty, even though I've been aware of him and been a fan of the guy for, for however long at this point. But I feel like astronauts really took a leap in twenty twenty and twenty twenty one to being Again, like the best, like a best tag team in the world, kind of, kind of tier there, and they were so undeniable in having matches that are some of the best. They're some of the best of the year, like Daisuke Sakamoto and Koei Sato versus versus the Astronauts is fucking incredible and fantastic. And I can't say that Takuya Nomura is that much better or any or better at all than Abe in it. But I think that Takuya Nomura, just because of his build, because of his frame, especially like being loyal to Big Japan and being a homegrown guy there, he gets certain chances and he gets to be the champ and do and do things that Abe just doesn't get to do. Being a freelancer, guy that goes around, guy that goes around and has fun mucking up, mucking it up wherever he is, and that's what Abe wants to do, and that's fine. I'm like I wish Abe got a significant push. Anywhere, I would love to see Abe be a significant player in the junior scene and in, in the junior scene in Big Japan, or do more in DDT, or do whatever. I will love, I will love to see him do that. But he's doing what he enjoys to do. And if I'm following Abe and I'm a fan of a wrestler and I'm following Abe wherever he goes and wherever he's wrestling on, I don't ever feel like my time is wasted if I'm if I'm watching this random show or seeking out this random show that Abe's on to watch his match. It's always worth it. I always enjoy it, and Abe always feels like time well spent when I'm going out looking at his wrestling. I've never been let down by Fuminori Abe, ever, and he could be doing more. He's still so young. He's like 26, I think. He's still ridiculously young, and we've been watching Abe now for like five or six years at this point. The dude rules. He is awesome and could be even better than we than we even, than we even know so far, to be honest. And that's what's scary about him. And maybe we'll see that in the coming years. Maybe see that in 2022. But I got Abe uh, where I had him at a 26. And I can see you having him higher. Yeah. Abe is an interesting one. Uh, a comparison that popped in my head um, that I think uh, might... I think it makes sense probably pretty easily on surface level to a lot of people. But it, the real thing that makes sense to me is like... To, for me personally and my taste. Um, and someone that was a very tough cut on this list for me, um, who I, I'm going to assume you don't have on your list either, is Yukio Sakaguchi. Um, yeah. Is I see Abe and Yukio very similar because they're like my favorite wrestler. Like, I think that Abe is like my favorite wrestler. I love watching his matches. I love him. I love what he does. I love his style. But he doesn't get, like you said, he doesn't get the big shots. And he doesn't have, like, the same level of push. He doesn't get, you know, treated the same way. He's in the mid-bottom of the card. He's whatever. But for me, personally, I love, love, love everything that they fucking do. Abe, every time I see him wrestle, it's a a joy. I fucking love his style. 
are are his matches always great? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like his opponents don't necessarily match up. The story is this and that, but like the physicality of what he does, I adore. I I there's like a natural charisma to me that just stands out that I fucking love them. Both guys, it's like a very similar thing. And it's like a thing where I'm like, I can't make this guy just my number one because I love them and I love watching them because I know that like their matches aren't that level. I know that they're not, you know, great. But Abe is insanely talented. Every time I see him, I'm fucking love what he does. You talked about this is nuts because I'm trying to like look through the cage matches as I talk and all this. Abe, hands down, I think laps everybody else on my list when it comes to matches during the pandemic. This motherfucker had more matches in 2021 than he's had on this is just on cage than he's ever had in any other year in the middle of the covid pandemic he's wrestling more than he normally does comparatively like this on cage match it shows him having 150 matches in 2020 he had a 186 matches it says in 2021 before that he's like in the 130s 150 like he has more matches during COVID than he has not during COVID, which is crazy to think about. It's also funny because on Cage Match, they list him as his promotion being Basara, which is fucking odd because I wouldn't, I don't think of that as like his promotion. I don't know why it says that that way. Maybe he has a contract there. I don't know. But it's funny because it's back to back. It's the king of the, the US Indies. And this is, Abe to me is the king of the Japanese Indies. He wrestles in every scuzzy fucking indie promotion in the world. He's got 666 matches, which has, 666 always has a soft spot in my heart. You know, the wrestling promotion that runs in gay bars is, is something that I'm going to enjoy, obviously. Um, yeah, but uh, he has tons of matches there. Uh, I don't watch 666 as much as I would like. It's hard to even find this stuff as far as I'm concerned. But you talked about it. The astronaut stuff is phenomenal. The stuff when he does show up uh, for singles matches in DDT is fucking great. Matches when he does, you know, has matches in Basara. Um, yeah, the guy is just so fucking good. And as I said, for me, always a delight. And just my, my personal favorite wrestler. Like, if I was going... To watch wrestling, I want to watch Abe more than pretty much anybody else. I enjoy him. I love love his style and and what he does. And and it's interesting because he reminds me of Loki. And I was never this like I didn't adore Loki the way that I adore Abe. Um, but uh, they are in some ways similar, you know. And uh, and I guess he's a monk, which is very interesting to think about. Um, but yeah, Abe, that's number seventeen for me. Uh, number twenty six for you, Fuminori Abe. Uh, I guess moving on. All right. <clears throat> My number 16, someone you mentioned a little bit ago, is Jun Akiyama. Yes, I had Jun at number 19. Man, what is there to say about Jun Akiyama? I think it has to start off with, goddamn, like 30 years later, nearly 30 years later, and this guy is having a run in which you could argue he's the best wrestler in the world. I don't think I'd be mad at anyone who made that argument. And I think Junresu routinely was having the best multi-man matches in DDT. Um, I'm not sure if you're with me on with me there, but I thought the Junresu group easily. If you're looking at D- DDT house shows or whatever, that they were having the best stuff on DDT house shows on a consistent basis. And Jun might be up there in age, but it wasn't just his uh, his his stablemates that were doing the work there. I thought that. Jewin himself was putting in was putting in some work in those tags, and you go through his tournament run, you go through his run 
in the Geo and winning the title uh, versus Setsuya Endo. But I thought it was a very good individual Junakiyama match. And then he has some stuff that's legitimately very good and has potential to make my top 100, like the uh, like the Higuchi match that I loved and was a my match of the year for a good for a good portion of 2021. The Harashima match from Cyber from Cyber Fight and stuff like stuff like that. I didn't love the Takashita title match. I'll say that. I have no problem uh, pointing out that. I liked it more on rewatch than I did when we reviewed it on the podcast. But not a huge fan of that. But I think he usually delivered in his tight, in, his, in his big spots. I think that individually his performances were really great. I think he also got the best out of a lot of people in multi-man doing whatever. I think that this stuff going on with right, right now with him and Yuki Ueno is going to be stuff that could possibly take Ueno to a point where he could maybe face Takashita with a level of credibility. I think that he's doing a good job there of uh, of elevating him. And yeah, just just all in all, it's the it's the awe of seeing a guy this deep into his career having I wouldn't call it a resurgence cuz it's not like he was ever bad, but Having this run where it just reminds people, oh, yeah, if you know how to do the basic fundamentals of pro wrestling on a high level with no crowd there, it's not going to affect you. Junakiyama is Junakiyama, no no matter if it's 30,000 people there, 5,000 people there, or 200 people there. He's understood that, he's mastered that, and those things don't affect him or bother him all over the card, tag Tag matches, six-man tags, eight-mans, comedy, whatever. Junakiyama has done it all in this two in this uh, two-year period of time during the pandemic, all over DDT. And I can say this: I can say that I w- was I enthused about Junakiyama winning the belt. No, I wasn't happy about it. I don't think that moves DDT forward. I don't think it helps anything, especially when the person that's the beneficiary of it winds up being Kunosuke Takashita, just beating him again. Like, and ultimately, I think that rain didn't matter, didn't help anything or whatever. But the work that Akiyama did was so great that there's no way I could even, I could really hold that against him. He was great in everything that he did. Yes, that is the best way to describe June Akiyama's pandemic is he was great at everything he did. Um, How many wrestlers have the legacy of being one of the greatest rookies of all time and one of the greatest veterans of all time. I would say very few. I can't think of too many wrestlers who you could argue is the best wrestler in the world. They're literally 30 years apart. He debuts in 1992 and in 2022, he is in the conversation for the best wrestler on the planet. It's fucking insane. The, the quality, and as you said, he's getting up there, and he is not phoning this shit in. Even in the Jun Risu six-man tag, random tag team match, all this and that. Like, you talked about Jun Risu being the, the best unit in DDT. I think that I pretty much easily agree with that. I would say, because Eruption it feels like it's just a trio and not really a unit, I think it's pretty easy to say that Jun Risu is the best unit stable whatever in ddt um 
dude, he starts out the pandemic still in all Japan, mucking it up with all those fuckers and being like worlds above. And then, yeah, this DDT stuff has just completely revitalized his career and made him stand out again as the best, one of the best wrestlers in the world. Night in and night out, no matter who he wrestles, again, you talked about it. I just reiterating shit that you said, like taking people and upping their game, taking someone like Tetsuya Endo, who I am not in love with, and being able to have great matches with with him. Like, and then when you get him in there with someone like Hiroshima, who is phenomenal, just having like epic fucking encounters, stuff, stuff with Yuki Ueno, who's like going to be high on my list, fucking amazing because of someone like Junakiyama. <laughs> to steal a line that I heard recently, Junakiyama being in DDT has made all the wrestlers in DDT better. Um, the guy is just, again, he's on another level. I think uh, Junakiyama, again, like I said, how do you argue with 30 years of pure excellence? Like, it's just, it's impossible. Um, that was your number 16? Uh, yeah. All right, my number 16... I, I'm I'm shocked. I guess you have him probably in the top ten. You've got to have him up there pretty high because you haven't set him yet. Uh, go Shiozaki. Yeah, I'll go higher. <laughs> do you really? Yeah, I do. Wow, okay. I'm kind of shocked. I honestly was joking and thought that maybe you didn't have him on the list. All right. Oh, uh, no. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll have a lot to say about Go. Perfect. Um, right, cool. My number 15 uh, is Dakota Kai. Did not make my list, but again, WWE. So I, I feel it though. I definitely feel it, and I wish that I could, I could be there with you. Dakota Kai is secretly the best wrestler on the planet. If you watch her stuff, that usually has little consequence or meaning because she's not the one that's actively, actively being pushed or that they care about. But we know Evie, and we know, saw Dakota Kai. Perennial babyface, Nixon Newell, Candice LeRae level babyface. That's fair to say, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the best babyfaces ever, for sure. Like, she's fantastic. And she turns heel, and everyone's just kind of like, huh. Okay. All right, where did, wonder where this is going to go. And that happens in 2019. And if you go back to 2020 and look at what, and look at the, go back and watch the Nixon Newell stuff. The Tegan Knox matches are fucking great. They are really good matches. They're phenomenal matches. And like the ending to the first one is a little meh because that's the Raquel Gonzalez debut or whatever. But the cage match on NXT TV was great. I wound up going four stars on that. And that was some of my favorite stuff of the year. And then you transition teaming with teaming with Raquel. All this stuff, all over TV, having good, having good matches, stuff with stuff with EO, uh, Rhea Ripley, what, uh, whoever, whoever else, and consistently, well, I think that people like Finn Balor and Thatcher or whatever, uh, like, we're not gonna act like the NXT roster isn't talented. There's a lot of talent there, at that point in time. There's a lot of talented people on the NXT roster, but who was I interested in watching? It always came back to Dakota Kai. I was always interested to see Dakota Kai, and even going and even going to the and even going to the forming of the uh, the NXT Women's Tag Titles, and her and Raquel Gonzalez facing Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon, and even getting Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax to come down, and then they're working sort of babyface-ish because they're facing Shayna and Nia and the history that Shayna and and Dakota have and 
all the story elements that they're bringing back with Dakota with Dakota and, and Shayna's uh, past relationship on screen with that fear that Dakota had had of Shayna and seeing how Dakota still has that fear, but she still is learning to fight back and not really let that take control of her. And even the break, even the breakup, breaking up with Raquel Gonzalez, and I think having Raquel Gonzalez's best match. I think that EO had an amazing individual performance uh, versus versus Raquel. And I know that some people really like Rhea versus Rhea Ripley versus Raquel. I thought Dakota versus Raquel Gonzalez was 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 Raquel Gonzalez's best match, and I think that's in no small part to Dakota Kai. I think she's phenomenal on TV every chance she gets whether that's facing someone like zoe stark or whatever someone that they someone that they have hopes for and have and have these ideas for with someone that is still new is was still newish newish on screen and dakota kai took her out there and they, they had a 13 to 14 minute match and they just fucking killed it and i i, I look at dakota and i know that it's it's this gonna be like super high for people but i just think that highly of her where if she was in a different context, we'd be talking about Dakota Kai as one of the best wrestlers in the world. If we were talking about her in a context in which she was getting a meaningful push and she wasn't someone that they viewed as a good hand, as a vehicle to get someone else over or to get someone else more experience, we're talking about Dakota Kai as one of the best wrestlers on the planet. I truly and firmly believe that. She's shown that as a babyface and a heel over the course of her career, and she took to being a heel better than anyone would have ever expected her to, and her ring work didn't suffer from it. We look at someone like Sami Zayn, and we love Sami Zayn. He's one of the best baby faces of all time as El Generico, but clearly his work has suffered as being a heel. Not that he's bad at wrestling, but he's had to change how he wrestles in order to fit that character. That's fine. Dakota Kai has been like a perennially all-star level babyface and she took that and turned into this doom this doom and gloom heel snarling scowling all that stuff and she has that but she's turned that team kick thing into being a being a nasty little shithead when she wrestles and she can cheat and do the typical heel shit but she could also be so fucking mean and aggressive with you that you think that you're watching like a Joshi a Joshi match sometimes. And I think that we're missing the prime of Dakota Kai's career. I think that she if she wasn't signed, if she was out here doing whatever else in any other company, we're talking about her in a different context. And she's still wrestling a bunch of different talented people. At least she was before the switch to NXT 2.0 and we'll see if she gets any type of uh run of significance on the main roster. Probably not. But I see Dakota Kai and I see the glimpses. I see the glimmers. I see the tag matches, the title matches that she's gotten, the chances that she's gotten. And I see a star, man. I see one of the best wrestlers in the world. And I've always liked Dakota. I always thought that she had potential to be a gigantic star in pro wrestling. And that may never happen. But the this pandemic was, I guess, the time that really opened my eyes like, yeah, wow, I think that she's one of the best wrestlers in the world. I 100% agree with basically everything you said there. Um, I think super strong case for her. Um, I honestly, one thing that popped in my head, and I, I mean, I don't know if this is a crazy thing or maybe you agree, but you talked about it, but like the comparison with Sami Zayn and the match, the work's suffering. 
Dakota Kai came across for so long as a natural babyface, and she truly, really is a phenomenal babyface. But I might argue that I think her work has been better as a heel. I think her in-ring wrestling is actually better as a heel than it ever was as a babyface. Um, I just think that she lacked something as a babyface. Her stuff sometimes looked a little light. Um, and now as a heel, it's she's just a lot more vicious, and the stuff comes across a lot more snug and believable. So yeah, I, I, I definitely co-sign everything you said there. Um, my number 15... Um, this is a toss-up. Maybe you don't have them at all. Maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe you have them higher. Yuji Okabayashi. Yeah, no Yuji for me. Okay, that's fair. I think, God, I think this might be the second or third time that this has happened, where I've had him and you haven't. Uh, just gonna say, and then maybe there was. I love, I, I, I love him. I just his his year always feels weird to me, man. I don't know. <laughs> and then I think there was also a year where there was a major switch where I didn't have him and you did. Um, but yeah, historically, I think he's a he's a polarizing figure on the you know psychology is dead fifty top fifty wrestlers. Uh, I don't like I don't like that. I, I don't, I don't, don't like, like it being framed that way. <laughs> I'm just you know I'm just throwing out some stupid yeah, shit. No. Yeah, you know, but uh, but yeah, um, no, Yuji is fucking great. Uh, turns up. All the time. Like, this guy, just Mr. Consistency um, for the entire pandemic. You know, Big Japan, DDT, uh, no matter what, like, phenomenal. Top of the card, bullshit, you know, shuffle tag. Doesn't matter where he is. Everything is fucking phenomenal. Um, the Hiroshima bloody eye fucking epic time limit draw is one of the best fucking matches of the uh, pandemic, hands down, bar none. Um, always definitely worth checking out. I mean, just brutality and, but also technicality, like just everything you can ever imagine wanting from, from wrestling. Like, oh my God, like that match really does encapsulate professional wrestling. You know, people ask, they do that. Like what match do you show a non-fan like to get them to watch wrestling or to entice them into wrestling? And I'm not saying that Hiroshima and versus Yuji, Yuji Okabayashi is that match. But what I would say is that that match is, if you show that match to a non-fan, um, and they and they enjoy it, they are meant to be a wrestling fan. If that makes sense, do you get what I'm saying? Like you don't show right. that as a way to like tease somebody or get them interested in wrestling. But if you show that to someone, and they get it, then they're going to be obsessed with professional wrestling because that is like everything in wrestling in one match. Um, it's just phenomenal. It really is just, just phenomenal. And Yuji is obviously a hundred percent part of that. Hiroshima is phenomenal as well. He's fucking great. Um, you mentioned him a long time ago, but we will be talking about him still later on. Um, yeah. Yuji Okabayashi, the tag team with Hiroshima throughout the pandemic was insane, insanely fun. Um, but yeah, the guy is just, again, Mr. Consistency, uh, Mr. Big Match can do everything on the card, but I love him in the you know in the big time high pressure settings. Uh, that's Yuji for you, the, the 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 golem. Nice, fucking great. Uh, it it does. You're right. It does feel weird to like for some reason that I never have him on my top fifty. It feels like, but I love the dude. Uh, I think he's when he's healthy, he's one of the best wrestlers in Japan. I think everyone knows that. I guess for me, it always feels like he's not healthy and maybe i just wasn't paying attention to him as much uh during the course of this time as i should have been but no argument against yuji yuji okabayashi will be coming from me all right 
My number 14, someone you haven't said yet, so you have them higher, is Jonathan Gresham. Just a little bit, but uh, we will be getting there shortly. My number 14 is the same, but in reverse, uh, Mayu Iwatani. I have her way higher. Okay. Okay, I don't like the sound of that, but okay. Okay, uh, I have the Young Bucks at 13. Okay, and I had the Young Bucks technically at 24 with Kenny Omega. Okay, so this is funny, right? Right. I actually have the Young Bucks at 13 and Kenny at 12. So I guess I what the fuck? subconsciously, it feel, yeah, feels like we kind of did the same thing. <laughs> we did. We actually kind of intentionally did this weird overlap thing, um, but just, I guess, in a different way. Um, so, yeah, let's, uh, I guess, I guess, do you want me to do it? Because I have this weird thing with them and the reason why they're here. Do you want me to just okay. go for it? Okay, yeah, sure, this? go ahead. Okay, so the reason why I end up with with doing this and putting them together, which maybe seems odd, is that when we did the 2019 list, Kenny Omega was my... Uh, oh, no, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, you had them at 12 and 13? Okay, so Kenny Omega was my number my number 50. The last time we did a year list, because I went back and looked what, like, what was my, what was my list for 2019? It's, it's been so long since I've done a year list. It's been two years. Let me refresh. What was it like? And then I remembered it all came back because I remember talking about it, about how Kenny Omega is one of my favorites of all time. And he could be my number one and all this. And now he's at the point where it feels like he's going to fall off. And, and it would be so weird to have a list and not have Kenny Omega. And, and this was going to be it. This was going to be the list where I didn't have Kenny Omega because I was just, I just couldn't bring myself to, to have him based on the pandemic. And I knew that I was going to have the young bucks. And again, like somewhere in the you know top twenties, maybe thirties, but then it was like, you know what them as a unit, when we, when I add in like the stuff that we talked about with the stadium stampede and actually them having trios matches and then everything else around the kind of the elite vibe i was like yeah like that's the thing like kenny by himself is not doing it for me anymore and the young bucks are still one of the best tag teams of all time um but like as a unit it works so that was kind of where i came down on it um kenny does have some solid stuff the triple a title stuff like the matches that he had in mexico with like a laredo kid really enjoyed that the stuff he did in impact there's some interesting stuff there but the matches are not great. So it's like, eh, you know, but again, we give like leeway. We can do whatever we want. And there is some like enjoyable matches and work and stuff. But then you've also got bullshit where he's like doing tags with like the fucking, uh, the, the Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson and doing jacking off bullshit and all that. You know what I mean? Like there's a ton of, there's a ton of just shit that I can't fucking stand from Kenny throughout the, throughout the pandemic. Um, and then you've got the weird, like, you know like playing up working fucking Meltzer online junk and all that. So I'm just, it, it was a very tough, like, what do I do with Kenny Omega? And this was to me, this was the, the, the way that worked. This was what made sense to me. Um, cause I couldn't, I couldn't get him on here by himself. Uh, but I could like theoretically have this group as a pair. And you, like you said, you have the group right next to each other. So feel free Tell me gush about both. Like the Bucks, like I said, had a, a ton of great matches throughout the pandemic. Um, and I just thought that this unit was very strong and throughout the pandemic, like delivered a lot of interest, interesting and entertaining TV 
but more so than like Kenny being like the champion, his, his, his title run just, it fell flat for me in a lot of different ways. Like I really just didn't, couldn't get behind the title. And then he drops the title and disappears. And like, I know that was late in the, in the pandemic and it was late in the thing, but still it's like, he's just completely gone now. And it just like, feels like an afterthought, but don't really feel like a huge, yeah, like he's gone. And I don't really feel like I miss him. I will, I have to give a shout out. Again, I talked about the AAA stuff and I'm not like a Lucha whatever, but the Andrade match with like fucking Ric Flair and all that stupid bullshit, like that was definitely something. <laughs> so that is a, that's a moment of the pandemic for sure. And Kenny definitely deserves credit for that. So I think it's very fair to be critical of Kenny. So I'll get, I'll get to Kenny in a second. But if someone was telling me that they didn't, that they thought the Bucks weren't great during the pandemic, I wasn't there insane, honestly. I thought the Bucks were fucking incredible. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. The Bucks were fantastic throughout the whole pandemic, I feel like. And you can go from their best stuff. You can go from the hang, you can go from the hangman and Kenny match at Revolution or whatever. You know, your mileage may vary. Some people will sit there, will say the Lucha Brothers cage match from All Out in 2021. Not my not up there for my Bucks matches or whatever, but still something that people will point to. But just on TV, on a, on a regular basis, the Bucks were doing great shit all the time. Before before the heel turn, too. Like, something random like them versus Butcher and the Blade was, was, was excellent. And they have stuff like that all the time, but then you even get to the heel turn, and I understand that for the heel turn, for the heel turn, the group of callous or whatever, people didn't like the act. I'm fine with that. I thought the Bucks went out there and had great matches the whole time. I thought Moxley and Moxley and Kingston versus the Bucks was fantastic. I think that they go out there and have stuff with the addiction. Uh, not the addiction. <laughs> what the fuck are they called? Uh, SC, uh, SCU. I don't okay, know why I called yeah, them, called just, them the addiction. Yeah. Yeah, went, went, way, went way back for that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's but, their TNA but, roots showing. Yeah, like even 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 their stuff versus versus SCU, their final their final their final match with them, and even something I like that I know that a lot of people weren't weren't super into or had mixed thoughts on. I love Young Buck versus Young Bucks versus FTR from twenty twenty. I thought that was great. I thought that that was a really good match. So for me, the Bucks hit rate during the pandemic is through the fucking roof. I think if you go through eight mans, six mans whatever the bucks kicked ass the whole time kenny here is the problem kenny i understand not liking the act that's fine i understand being annoyed with kenny so you're already just not super interested in his matches or what's going on i i understand there's a myriad of reasons to not be super in, in, in interested in watching Kenny Omega's wrestling. I don't think his wrestling took this much of a dip. And I know that he was working hurt or whatever, but there was still plenty of Kenny Omega stuff that I thought was very good over the course of these two years. Again, the Hangman, the Hangman run was a legitimately very good tag team and had maybe and had one of the best matches of the year. You go through their run they had really awesome defenses. You go to you go to the breakup. You have Kenny's run through the world title eliminator, culminating in a singles match with Hangman. That was great. 
The winner is coming match versus Moxley. Some people don't like it. I like that match. I don't think it's a bad match. I don't think that the no rope, like no rope expl- exp- uh, exploding ring match with Moxley is bad up until the ending, really. I don't think it's a bad match. I think you can go through Phoenix, Matt Seidel, the Christian matches, where I thought both of the Christian matches were very good. All these tags, all these various elite Bullet Club tags that he's in, whether that's teaming with Kenta, whether that's team, whether that's teaming with the Bucks, teaming with Gallo, telling teaming with Gallo and Anderson and facing the Lucha Bros and Laredo Kid and Lucha or Pack or whatever the fuck. I don't think I don't I don't think that those should be discounted. Those are very good. The Jungle Boy match is great. The Pack stuff. People forget that the Pack stuff is 2020. The Pack stuff is 2020, and that was some of the best stuff of 2022. So. You have you have all this stuff already. You have the Brian Danielson match that you can then can add in as being one of the best matches of 2021. And the impact stuff wasn't great. I'll, I'm I'm fine with admitting that. You go through Rich Swan and Sammy Callahan and stuff like that and I can I can't say that I really like any of those matches. I'm part but I don't know, man. Like I th- I feel like people got too caught up in not liking the act. I feel like they started pretending that Kenny Omega started having bad matches. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I go, I go look through his work. I go back and I watch everything again. Go look at it. Maybe I'm misremembering things. Maybe I'm forgetting things. And all I came to the conclusion was, oh yeah, Kenny still had really great shit scattered in the in the scattered in here. And you might not like the heel turn, might not like the callous stuff, whatever. But even like the random, even this Kenny Kenny versus Pack versus Orange Cassidy was phenomenal. It's all it's all there, it all exists. Be annoyed with Kenny as much as you want, like dislike him, think he's a fucking dork and a dweeb as much as you want. But I think that people harped on the Callus and Kenny pairing too much and Kenny being a heel too much and got so wrapped up in the not liking the act and the promos that they started. Just pretending that these were bad matches. I don't know. Like, in like, and like, some people might have Kenny higher, and I think that that's a little insane for a list like this. I don't have, a, I don't think I could have Kenny higher, even if he'd been active the whole time, having matches the whole time. But yeah, man, Kenny, Kenny's run during the pandemic had been way more good and great than anything venturing towards bad. Yeah, I mean that's all very very true and there's a lot there that like i i maybe hadn't thought of as i was just going based on my kind of my gut and cursory overlooking and, and re-watching a few things here and there um from omega i'm with you on the no rope exploding barbed wire thing uh i i at the time i said it on our review and i've kept this up the entire time the match is actually really good and I think a lot of people, if they went back and looked at Twitter live at the time it was happening, um, would agree that like there was a ton of people who were super into the match and reacting big. Um, and then when the you know a couple of the explosions and uh, and obviously the final is what turned everybody into saying it was bad. Um, but yeah, I I just think. Uh, I think that it's not an insane drop off because, like I said, the last time I ranked Kenny, I was teetering with dropping him off uh obviously 2019 was a lot worse for kenny than 2020 and 2021 but um i don't know there's something about him that's just not standing out to me anymore 
like it used to. And maybe maybe when he returns, we'll get we'll get back in the groove. But like I said, Kenny outside of AEW, the the AAW, and even some of the Impact stuff, I really thought like was was some of his best stuff, and really felt like he was getting a chance to do something. I just I feel like he ta- he's talked about it in interviews. Like when he's at AEW, he's so busy doing all this backstage stuff and all this extra stuff. I just feel like he's not getting to be pure Kenny Omega anymore. And maybe when he's outside of AEW, he's getting he's able to go back to just being Kenny himself, the performer, you know, when he's out there performing. So we'll see. Either way, I'm with you. All right, so now I got to do 13 and 12, I think, back-to-back to catch back up. So 13, possible you have a part of the team separately. Possible, I guess, you don't have either of them. But my number 13 for the pandemic is Sting and Darby. I have Darby higher. Okay. Um, for me, the, the tag team, just insane fucking standout part of the pandemic. But uh, we can talk about that stuff when we get when you get to Darby. Um, my number 12, you had at number 14, so relatively close, Jonathan Gresham. Um, I already gave out, you know, indie, king of the indies, but, you know, ROH. Does ROH count as an indie? That's the conversation. Uh, but realistically, right now, you call Gresham, the king of the indies right now, right? But, uh, yeah, just the fucking man, the the guy who took this legacy promotion like ROH and put it on his back from the moment he started getting actually, you know, treated like he mattered in ROH, you saw that this that he was going to take this fucking place over. He takes over the school, the feud, and then ending up in the tag team with Jay Lethal. It's like, okay, this is it. He's the guy. And you kind of question, though, will ROH, will this version of ROH push a guy like this? Um, and we get the answer. And they sure do. And they make him eventually at the end of kind of, you know, it's not the entire, it's not like, say, the pandemic is the full run because, I mean, Jonathan Gresham had matches in ROH that date back like very far back like i i remember seeing uh jonathan gresham and roh you know as far back as like you know i don't know 2016 2017 probably um maybe even further back matches here and there but he was getting booked regularly that far back um to the point where like you know now but he now he's like their guy um and obviously like i said he makes something of it uh and continues down this path getting some shots here and there random bookings outside of roh but realistically throughout the the pandemic he's been roh exclusive um the pure title gets invented and becomes his thing and i mean he really makes it his thing one little blip on the radar have to mention this because i talked about the makabe lee moriarty match from the wrestlemania weekend in 2020 uh or i guess it was it was the make good for the wrestlemania weekend the collective or whatever uh gresham and lee moriarty i mean that match is fucking not hands down was the best match of that weekend uh lee moriarty's best match up until that point as far as i'm concerned better than anything with the shelling matches jonathan gresham this guy is the fucking king obviously um but yeah the, did you see the aramis match in lucha lucha memes or whatever yeah they did it on that weird like a uh, u.s versus mexico show that match is fucking killer yeah gresham is just everything he touches turns to gold the guy is phenomenal uh best wrestler i mean probably the best technical the best just wrestler in general that there is 
I don't know. Can you think of a bad Gresham match? I can't think of a bad Gresham match. Even the Terminus match that we just reviewed recently, I thought the match was very good. I thought that the context was not great, right? That's like kind of the situation with something like that. But overall, I mean, John Gresham, this guy is just hands down, hands down, knockout, one of the best wrestlers in the world. Jonathan Gresham. I mean, I mean, the case is, it's like, who would be watching fucking Ring of Honor if it wasn't for Jonathan Gresham matches? There That's would it. literally be nothing to watch or be interested in if it wasn't Jonathan Gresham matches. That's it. That's the tweet. That's it. That's <laughs> that's the that's the only thing there of note. Whether it's fucking Josh Woods, Mike Bennett, or anyone else that they threw in there, and like, they, like there's a good wrestler here, but like, you know, bringing in a Fred Yehi or bringing in these other people to uh, come in and wrestle and grapple with Gresham. That's the only, that was the only reason to go out searching for any Ring of Honor during this period of time. It was always Gresham that made it work. I mean, even the work that Gresham did outside of Ring of Honor, like you said, like something like like Gresham versus Adam Priest or whatever, like that's that's better than any ROH match that Gresham had. But here we go, and Gresham is still going back there, holding that company up on his on his, on his back. With really no other support, no other help. Not the guys aren't aren't in there working hard or busting their asses in the in the in the time that they got. But in terms of exposure and eyes and what people want to see, it's it's Gresham. There's no other person that had that kind of interest or made Ring of Honor worth seeing in its lowest point than Gresham. It's Gresham, and he we always know we know we know how high Gresham's floor is. Gresham's floor, Gresham's floor is is three and three fours. That's his floor. That's the floor for a guy at the level of Jonathan Gresham when it comes to when it comes to wrestling. He's that good, and he was out there doing it damn near what corpses sometimes in Ring of Honor in those empty buildings. He was fantastic. He was as good as a wrestler gets in that setting, and yeah, I think that's the best like endorsement you can give him that when his home promotion was at its lowest he was the one person that people even bothered to watch and it always felt like you got your money's worth every time you saw aggression match on a card yeah that's it i mean the guy is obviously phenomenal um all right so that catches us back up and so that'll get us to your number 11 all right um so uh if any if you don't want to hear me talk about this guy then uh, skip forward a couple of minutes. But my number 11 is Darby Allen, who you just mentioned a little bit ago. Oh, yes. Yes, that's fair. I, uh, yeah, I should have probably mentioned that as well. And I sort of, I, I think this was, maybe I talked about that I had something that was semi, semi on the, the negative. Um, yeah. All right. Um, the best TV worker of this era pretty sure i'm gonna say like he is must-see television and he goes up there and he delivers on pay-per-views too so i'm not gonna act like that's not the case but darby is a must-see television guy whether that is teaming with sting like you mentioned in all the various tags whether that's him as the tnt champion whether that's him uh, doing short stuff like like squash matches, like Darby can surprisingly work really good squashes. 
uh, considering how small he is and his offense or whatever. And then going on to pay-per-views and delivering big and stuff like him versus MJF and him versus CM Punk. Darby and his style has acclimated very, very, very well to television. So whether he's facing Scorpio Sky, Miro, Cody, who, like whoever else that they wanted to throw at him over this uh, over this course of time or the last couple of years, getting in there and mixing it up with John Moxley and having and having some really interesting dynamics and fun stuff there, he's must see television. There's not much to say about Darby because when you see him, your eyes are glued immediate. Your eyes are glued immediately. If you see Darby versus on the AEW match graphic, you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to tune in to Dynamite this week. That's the level that Darby operates on. It's Darby, it's Darby versus John Silver. It's Darby versus even Matt Hardy or whatever. Like stuff, stuff like that you see and you're like, yeah, I want to see that. Darby is, has that characteristic of a wrestler where I want to see Darby wrestle anybody. It could be literally fucking anybody. It can go from Goshi Ozaki to Sabu. I want to watch. I want to watch Darby wrestle them, and I think that that's been a very prominent thing uh, for him on AEW. You mentioned the Sting and Darby tag team. They might people might view it as a sort of novelty act, but their hit rate is so high that I don't even think you can call it that anymore. If you go from the if you go from the FTW match, if you go from the 2.2.0 FTR, the six man tag teaming with Punk, all of their appear all of their appearances, they've been great. So that that's a that's a boon there. And Sting's held up his end. Sting's held up his end so much to the point where you have Sting on your on your ballot, and I can't say anything about it. But like Barbie, Darby's a bump machine. We all know that Darby is a bump machine that goes out there and will take the most reckless, insane thing and pop back up and do it again the next week. We know, but Darby's bumps in these tag matches to go ahead and give Sting the shine, and uh, Sting can go out there and get what he, and get in what he needs to get in and not look like a sixty-year-old wrestler. He looks like a guy that's just a good, solid member of the roster, and. That's a that's a feather in his cap and being able to rehash something like Darby versus Ethan Page and we all know how good it was back in Evolve and put it back on put it on AEW television and it's right back where it left off being a being a highlight of, a highlight of the programming. Darby's musty television. There's still untapped potential there with them. There's still stuff that we haven't really seen, stuff that's still left on the table. You know, a, you know Danielson versus Darby, Hangman versus Darby. Kenny versus Darby and any kind, any type of Darby and the Bucks interaction. There's still a bunch that he could do that hasn't been put on the table yet. And again, again, like we, this guy could still wind up being higher at some point. Some people could have him higher than where I have him at. But I think Darby over the last two years, like without a doubt, has been the best television worker anywhere in the world. Yeah, I mean, there, it's. Obviously, I would say it's like a a, a a veiled secret here that my my number thirteen spot of Sting and Darby, which is you know very close to your number eleven a spot of Darby by itself, is maybe Sting is a little <laughs> a little bit tacked on there, right? You know, my my spot is it's it's about Darby. It was about Darby from the beginning. Um, that was it was gonna be Darby by himself, and then I was like, ah, fuck it. You know what? Like I said, the the pandemic is about vibes and sting and darby have been a vibe uh 
And you have not, for the most part, you have not seen Darby even in his singles matches without Sting there as part of the act. Sting has been a big part of Darby uh, for the entire pandemic. And the way that I've talked about it in the past, the way that that, that uh, Darby has not come across like just some guy being stuck with Sting to try to get him over. Darby has felt like equal and a star and become, like you said, must-see television. That's the best way to describe Darby. I mean, real, really, he is. AEW Dynamite like becomes must-see television because of Darby. Uh, that's a like amazing way to put it. I can't believe I didn't think of it. You put it the, the best way possible, like, honestly. Uh, there's no better way to describe it. Darby is, again, he's a star. He's a ratings draw, proven ratings draw. He's in there equal with sting a legend um and and the matches the work backs it up not just you know the singing darby tag team matches as you said deliver 100 percent of the time they have not missed every single one of their matches has been fucking great it's just it's great no matter what they do even the last one with the acclaimed and this was 2022, so it doesn't count, whatever. But even that one where Sting was more active. Darby actually disappeared and Sting worked most of the match. And it was fucking great. The trios match, like you said, with, with Punk. Fuck, CM Punk and Sting and Darby. This is like, what the fuck? This is an all-star group. Like, goddamn. Right. The reason for that is because Darby, like his... I remember I had to fight with you all the time to like like acknowledge like how good Darby's base understanding of wrestling was, but at the same time, what is Darby? He's a smaller guy that can be ragdolled around, and Punk isn't a huge guy, but he's still bigger than Darby. And look how much being able to go in there with Darby, who bumps like a madman in the first place, like how how great that made Punk look in his first match back. Yeah, no, it was perfect booking, and it definitely did help to make Punk's return have even a bigger swell of importance it's crazy to think about that but yeah like punk who knew it was shaky it was like who the fuck knows what's gonna happen with punk so you have him come back with someone that's a proven hand a proven fucking bumper a proven gonna make a guy look like a fucking star in darby allen imagine saying that to someone if you go back to thinking about darby Darby winning like the fucking the you know the pre-show workout award gets a ma- gets a, a fucking match on the card against uh, Adam or Ethan Page on Evolve like that's where Darby started out I mean for a lot of people you can go further back and say Darby the the fucking bump machine skateboarding idiot who posts jackass knockoff videos with uh with the Buddy Wayne's son on YouTube right you can go that far back you can go like think about this guy and. Now he's at the level of star, like you said, must-see fucking TV. That's the best way to describe him. The guy is car crash TV, must-see TV, uh, to the point where, oh, CM Punk is coming back, and we're not sure. We're not we're, we're not 100% sure where, where Punk's going to be. Throw him with Darby, and he'll make sure that he looks great, and he did. And yeah. it, might sound bl- it might sound blasphemous, but it's like looking at Darby, and like I was a kid when Rey Mysterio was, was, was you know, at the peak of his powers. But when I saw Rey Mysterio get announced for TV, I was like, oh, shit, I want to watch that. And it might it might be on a lesser scale, but, like, that's how Darby feels. Darby, I can imagine someone that's, you know, a wrestling fan and caught wind of AEW and is 8, 9, 10 years old, 11 years old, and Darby is their Rey Mysterio. Not in terms of, like, the likability or whatever, but, like, 
oh shit, like this guy's this guy's on tonight, this guy's wrestling tonight. I want to watch that. And like that's like that's 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 how he feels to me. Yeah, I mean both you know, and you go back to when to when we were kids, way back on WCW in nineteen ninety eight, uh, when we were both in middle school and uh, and Rey Mysterio was gonna be on Nitro. You would be super excited. No, exactly. That's the craziest thing about it, Quentin, is that I can say the same thing about Rey Mysterio from 1998, 1996, 1997, right? That you can say the same thing. I can say the same thing for 2003. Right. And that's why. Or or 2010. And that's why you could say that, like, people would say it's blasphemous to compare. But if you are like me and you remember what it was like to see Rey Mysterio when he was a 17, 16, you know. 18 year old kid from mexico who's getting a shot in ecw or wcw on tv and how exciting it was you're a hundred percent spot on if i'm that same kid that i was then in middle school in elementary school and i'm seeing darby 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 would be a favorite wrestler darby would hit the same exact itch and it would be oh my fucking god this guy is insane and like i said like you know the the goth thing like more and more, I think people are noticing exactly what I said from the beginning. The the hot topic, the goth thing. Like, tell me that's not 100% what, like, is the, the zeitgeist on TikTok for the Zoomers. They're all talking about their goth GFs with their big boobies and the mommy milkers and all this and how they're depressed and they want to cut themselves, right? Darby speaks to that generation. And I've been saying this for fucking four years at this point, three, four years. And now I think it's so mainstream that people are realizing like, yeah, okay, the kids are really into this and this is what we have to market to. Someone like Darby speaks to that generation. And honestly, this is fucked up because you already, when we started this, you talked about like Darby and, and maybe like don't listen if you don't want to. But like, if you think about X and like having that dark side and the being fucking twisted and, and gothic and, and having the negatives and the positives and, and being a human with warts and all, Darby is the same thing. Darby has some negative baggage from the background. Darby has some things that he shouldn't have done. And I honestly, as much as it sucks, like, I think that those people who are into the dark side stuff are gonna kind of like see that and be like, I'm into it. Like, there are people who are obsessed with fucking XXX Intacion, right? Like, there's people who to this day are fucking stands of his, even though they yeah. know all the bad shit that he did. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And it's like, because he's someone that's like, kind of like X, right? Like, X was so open with his vulnerabilities and like things like that, that when something bad does come out, people are more people are more forgiving and obviously Darby's already done that so like I, I get it it could definitely it could definitely be a similar thing done with Darby there even if even if people really even if people shouldn't be doing that right uh yeah exactly but that's my but that's but that's my number 11 uh so Tim we're at, we're at 11 here yes we're at 158 really for our for our recording I know so what do you what do you want to do okay I think we can do it do you do you want to try or do you want to risk it? I think I think we can do it, okay. and if it gets too much, then we can just come back and uh, yeah. splice this all together. All right, all right. So we can try. Maybe we can stop at top five. Maybe whatever. But we'll see. Okay. My number eleven. You already mentioned him, so it'll be easy. Oh wait, you already mentioned him, but you haven't said him yet. Um, Takuya Nomura. I have Nomura higher. Okay. So you're number eleven, or you're number ten. We're in the top ten. Let's do it. Uh, number ten to follow up with another uh, 
problematic person if you're not if you don't really uh not that he was into speaking out that i don't think but if you don't like hearing about this person uh skip ahead my number 10 is will osprey not on my list uh obviously not surprising i understand anyone that has no interest in watching will osprey matches or doesn't like him or whatever that's fine I just, I'm literally not at a point where I want to argue or discuss Will Ospreay with anybody. I'm just getting my thoughts out. Will Ospreay travels all over the place and has great matches all over the place. Is he overly self-indulgent at this point because he is such a big star and matches go on longer than they should? Yes, Absolutely, but do I think that anyone could probably have a match as good as with Ricky Knight Jr. that Will Ospreay did in that setting, in that situation? Probably not. I think that Will Ospreay is the kind of guy, the kind of bumper, the kind of the kind of base that makes something like that work. And if you go from Will Ospreay versus Hiromu to start off 2020, tearing down the house at the uh, tearing down the house of Wrestle Kingdom. Then going to Dowie, then going to Dowie James in uh in in, in in MCW, the new J- new Japan Cup stuff, the match with the match the match with Zach for the RPW title, going back going back to England, he had a fantastic he had a fantastic G1 in 2020 for his first time for his first time being in it, uh going coming back after turning heel facing Okada at the Dome, I love that match, I think it's great. Uh, other people don't feel that way that's fine New Japan Cup again has another really good New Japan Cup run facing Zack facing uh facing Dave, facing David Finley facing Shingo in the fi- facing Shingo in the finals and you can say I, I feel like it's maybe the least of the Will and Shingo matches but it's still a very good match it's still a super good match Kota Ibushi match where he wins the title I'll admit not that great not very good, and it it is it is just the easily the worst match of those that those two have had together as a pairing. But then he comes out, and people may like not agree with me, but that Shingo Dantaku match is really that fucking good. It really is. Some people call it the best IWGP title match ever. I don't agree with that. I'm not going that far with it, but I think it's the best Shingo and Will match, and it's definitely in my top ten. Maybe top five for my to- for my twenty twenty one matches of the year, and obviously like the like weirdness happens and Will leaves Japan and all this other stuff is going on. Will's hurt. Will wants to leave New Japan. Whole bunch of conflicting things. But in the midst of this, Will comes back, and when Will comes back, he has really good matches with Shota Yamino, Carl Fredericks, Ren Narita, in uh. In uh, RPW, team, uh, do, having six, having the six man tag with all, uh, with uh, the Young Guns facing sun, facing Sunshine Machine and in uh, uh, Ricky Knight and Ricky Knight Junior. That was one of my favorite uh, or most fun tags of the year. Even dating back to 2020, when he was when he was uh, taking some time off from Japan, and he goes and he's facing Kyle Fletcher and other lower card guys. On those uh, on those RP on those RPW shows that no one that no one that no one was talking about at that point, he's a guy that busts his ass every time, everywhere, no matter the circumstances, 
big arena, in the, like in the fucking Tokyo Dome, or in the goddamn cockpit with nobody there, Will Ospreay's busting his ass in having matches that no one else would bother having given the circumstances, but going out there and killing it just because that's, that's what he does. So, I'm not interested in arguing someone about Will Ospreay. I'm not interested in talking about Will Ospreay's merits as a wrestler. I think he's a good wrestler. I think he sells very well. I think he strikes very well. He still flies very well. I think he has a good. I think I think he has a very uh, a very good grasp of pacing a main event. Now it might not always land. It might not always be perfect. But for the most part, I think Will Ospreay has been for the last few years a very very well-rounded professional wrestler. And I think that now that he's the guy in a lot of places, I think he still carries that same energy of a guy that was in 2014 trying to make a name for himself, and he busts his ass like it every single time. He's one of the best bases in wrestling, and I mean, there's nothing that I feel like Will Ospreay isn't proficient at when it comes to wrestling, and I am not interested in talking about it any further. That is it. <laughs> I will not argue with you. I'm with you uh everything you said my uh number 100 if you like like, like if, if, you, if you don't like them like fine like i yeah. it's whatever at this point like if, if people were just like you're just not interested like kanye west like i'm just not interested in talking about kanye west anymore like i just don't care like 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 that's where that's right that's where i am with it so sorry like that's it for me with the Ospreay. We rarely talk about him on the podcast. I want to talk about him. Like, I'm not interested in having any kind of deeper conversation about what it just is what it is at this point. Yeah. No, I'm with you. He was my number 100 greatest wrestler ever on the PWO poll. So just FYI, for anyone who ever, you know, says anything about Osprey or all the debates and all this, just remember that, that I was the only person that voted for him and I had him at number 100. Uh, so just, you know, keep that in mind, everyone. Um, yeah, I... I will say, you mentioned it, if you want to go back and watch the most cancelled wrestling match of all time, the Dowie James match from early 2020 is actually really good and probably no one has seen it. It's probably the least watched of any Osprey match uh, in the past five years, whatever, like four years. Uh, so I would say recommend, go check that out, guys. It's pretty good. Um, what else can I say? You said it all there. Uh, we can move forward to my number 10. Um had to get him in in the in the top 10 here i think definitely deserves a spot in the top 10 as far as i'm concerned um tam nakano who you had all the way back at number 22 um i just think the preeminent worker you know and and to me that's why i had to have her in the top 10 i thought because for the pandemic i'm looking for people who bring out that emotion and bring out something and tam does that all the time but i do i'm thinking about it and the way that this stuff works is like well you just talked a ton about osprey i was gonna say if i have you close out on this then you'll talk a bunch you'll talk about tam but probably not that much and then talk about your next person so i'll just do my case continue rolling like i said uh the best fucking emotionally driven wrestler the selling the facials the her offense it looks fucking phenomenal now i'm sorry like i'm so sick of these people i hear these people who make the same points like okay 
this is not Tam specific, but this is in general. I hear people who make points about stuff and I'm like, have you just stopped? Did you like stop watching wrestling in the nineties or the early two thousands? You like have these weird points that feel like they're so fucking dated that you're just not actually watching anymore. You just say things like maybe early on Tam was not like great in ring, but at this point, I mean, I'm sorry, but her shit looks better than 99% of fucking wrestlers out there. Everything she does looks so fucking good like i love it and then like i said the emotion the the passion the violence the selling the the drama like just when it comes to that part of work when i talk about work like when you know there's wrestling and there's work i think that tam nakano is the best worker on the planet pure work like the drama the emotion getting invested in what she does like nobody can do it like she does it it doesn't matter who she's wrestling but then you get the the storyline stuff primarily like with julia who you talked about during the pandemic julia really coming into her own in stardom when it comes to that side of things the emotion but like anyone she wrestles natsupoi starlight kid even like yunagi who i i'm not a huge fan of but other people i think are enjoy her you know what i mean like uh kamatani sayuri like it doesn't matter who Tam is in there with. She gets something out of them. She gets like me emotionally invested in it. I love Tam Nakano. I think just phenomenal, amazing worker. Um, and Quentin, don't be surprised that I'm higher than you on Tam because I I told you I was higher than her you you on her when you mentioned her earlier. But Quentin, go ahead. Yeah, it just again, it's interesting to hear hear you have her top ten. I had her twenty two, and I was thinking that that'd be a high vote, but. What is there left to say about Tam Nakano, man? Like, I understand that Utami is the star of the future and someone they're going to continue to build a promotion around and she's fucking, like, 24 years old, 23 years old or some shit, and rightfully so, but Tam Nakano and where she come, where she came from and her story and, and just how it all culminated, like, in the emotion and what she delivers, it's... It's, it's one of a kind, man. It's She's a special performer. She's truly a a special performer. If you go back to the Julia stuff from even 2020, the Julia stuff from 2020, I don't even know if you saw, that stuff is really good too. And then you have the Julia, then you have the blow, the blow off match from 2021 that culminates in Julia shaving her head and everything. But the Julia stuff from 2020 is just as good. The Mayu, the Mayu match from 2020 is really good too. The 2021 match is one of my favorite matches of the year, but it's still really good too. And you really start to see Tam's elevation in 2020. Um, you know, unfortunate circumstances um, as, uh, you know, the untimely death of Hana Kimura, uh it happens and it feels like Tam is like getting a little bit more of a push uh, following, the, following the fallout of that. And, uh, I think that if there was, like, anyone that feel like, because, like, Hana was super charismatic and, like, you know, like, you always saw, like, bright things in the future for Hana. And if there's anyone that kind of, like, filled those, like, those shoes in terms of on, on the roster, I think, I feel like it was Tam. And Tam kind of became that heart and soul of the whole heart and soul of the promotion that I feel like Hana was on the way to, the, on, on the way to becoming. I think that when you see Tam... She's not as talented, I don't think, but she feels like what they were missing when Kari Hojo left. 
she feels like that's like that kind of baby face is what they were missing the whole time. That kind of wholesome, not afraid to cry, not afraid to show emotion baby face that you root for endlessly on the roster. And you know her story, you know everything that she's gone through. You know at one point she was trying like about to be done with wrestling and everything and she gets this chance and she's taken full advantage of it and become this huge star for her stardom. And the story is great and all, but at the end of the day, have to go out there and wrestle. And her wrestling has delivered, whether it's in the Stardom Grand Prix, whether it's in the Cinderella, whether it's for in, in her white belt matches. She's overshadowing the she's overshadowing the main title sometimes. I feel like she's overshadowing the red belt. She goes out there, and people love Shuri. And me and you have made our opinions known on her and how we feel about her. But I think that Tam has routinely outshined the red belt. And I don't think that's by, I don't, I don't think that's by accident or whatever. I think that Tam is just that good and that engaging as a worker that even if she isn't the marquee name, that Tam just demands a certain level of investment because you know that she's going to give her all in that match. And, you know, we're, uh, our pal Evan has been on the Tam Nakano train for a couple of years now. And, uh, you know, what finally worked. He converted us and, uh, Tim Nakano's a top ten wrestler, top ten wrestler in the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's right. You know, broke clock twice a day or whatever, all that stuff. But yeah, and you mentioned that you know the Hannah Kimura kind of that heart and soul spot. But Tam also, it's so weird because she's now and and she's new and you know she's new to wrestling and like you said the background story and all that. But she also really feels like a throwback to Joshi wrestling of the. 70s 80s 90s like i talked about but the drama and the emotion the stuff that you would get from like yeah like crush gals like old school fucking like joshi wrestling with like the drama and the hair versus hair match kind of like harkens back to that you know the old school like joshi's joshi wrestling drama but yeah i just i think you know being the taking that spot as the heart and soul but also being like i said a throwback and that connection to what made Joshi wrestling great in the golden eras of Joshi. Um, so yeah, top 10 wrestler of the year, uh, top 10 wrestlers, Will Ospreay, Tam Nakano. Okay. Everyone listening to this, pick your side. <laughs> off to a, off to a great start here in our top 10. Uh, my number nine is someone you mentioned earlier. Go Shiozaki. All right. Yeah. Go, uh, you know, 2020 wrestler of the year conversation for me. Luckily, I don't have to say for sure, but uh, I guess feel free. Talk about go. I don't give a fuck that he missed the majority of 2021. I don't care. When you are hitting at the level that Go Shiozaki was hitting at in 2020. Sorry, he has to be that high on this list. I don't care. The matches are great, and we'll get to the matches. But on an individual performance basis, no one on this list has a better track record of individual performances across this period of time than Goshiozaki. Not a single person. And it doesn't come close. There's people I have higher than him, obviously. I have people higher. Goshiozaki has a better run of individual performances here than anyone else. His title matches were ridiculous, but Goshi Ozaki took this, 
took this time and made it so in this period, he is the defining face of adapting to the pandemic. You can start that off with the Fujita match. I don't love that match the way some people love that match. But it is the most quintessentially pandemic match other than Stadium Stampede, I feel like. Those are the two defining matches oh, yeah. of trying to make the most out of the situation of 2020 for me. Goshi Ozaki has one of them. And it's a weird match. It is a fucking strange match. And I'll give it and I'll say that. It's a long stare down. It's weird. And there's a definitely flaws in which you can point out there. But when things got shut down and things stopped and you had to figure out a way to make things work and gain attention where people don't want to watch wrestling because the last thing on their mind is watching wrestling. Goshi Ozaki and Kazuki Fujita said, you know what? Let's fucking stare at each other for 23 minutes. Let's fucking stare at each other. And it worked. Goes up there with Akatoshi Saito. Tim, when was the last time Akatoshi Saito was good? Before the go match? Uh, uh, I mean, that's, uh, I'm, you know what? I'm going to stop myself before I say something that I shouldn't. That, that, spe- that speaks for itself. And I don't dislike Akatoshi Saito. I, I'm a fucking Noah guy. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed him back, back in, back in years past. We're talking about 2020 Akatoshi Saito. He's cooked, not in the best shape. Goshi Ozaki somehow makes an interestingly structured match with him that goes 30 plus minutes or nearly 30 minutes. And it's a breeze to watch because of goes selling, goes selling of these fucking chops from Saito and Selling and selling and, and, and doing the work on Saito's arm and everything about this being this Masawa Memorial match because both of these guys were in the match when Masawa, uh, when, when Masawa, when Masawa was staying the injuries that would ultimately kill him. And everything that's involved in the emotion of that and even tributes to Bison Smith. Things that you, things that you wouldn't even think that this Akatoshi Saito versus Goshi Yosaki match would do and represent did and exceeded these expectations tenfold. We came on here, well, on the weekly po- on the weekly pod, we talked about Kano versus Katsuhiko Nakajima, and the issues with that match. Go Shiozaki had a fit had a sixty minute match with Kano, same circumstances, GC heavyweight title, GC na- national title, same circumstances, sixty minute draw. Go Shiozaki versus Kano was really fucking good, and Go Shiozaki is incredible in that match. Absolutely and absolutely sensational in that match with Kano. The Nakajima match. The Sagira match being one of the best matches of 2020. Everything he did, everything he touched, was fucking incredible. Go go versus Marufuji. That pairing can be hit and miss, but I like that match they had in 2020. The Nakajima match. I don't like Nakajima going that long. His track record of going that long is not great. But he did there, and with Goshi Ozaki leading the way, it worked, and it was awesome. Are long matches now, in this current landscape, are they a way of gaining attention? Absolutely. They are absolutely a mechanism and a way used to which to gain attention for your promotion. Noah did it, Stardom did it, 
and it's been successful. It gains them attention, not knocking them for it. But ultimately, you still have to go out there and wrestle these matches. And I can say that these long stardom matches aren't doing it for me a lot of the time. These 30-minute draws in stardom aren't doing it for me all the time. That Sherry versus Utami match, the long one that went like 45 minutes, didn't do it for me. Go Shiozaki did it for me every single time out, going 30-plus or nearly 30 every time out. And I never felt like I wasted a single second of my time. Even facing Mudo, where you have this amazing Go Shiozaki reign culminate in losing the fucking Keiji Mudo, and how stupid that is, and how annoying that is, Go damn near kills himself trying to make that match work. Is Was that not one of the most Herculean performances ever in a carry job? It was fucking Okada versus Tenru level yeah, shit. Yeah, it was like, insane. It's, 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 fucking, it's fucking Okada powerbombing himself. Level shit that Go Shiozaki was out was out there doing in order to make a like in order to make a pretty long match with Keiji Muto even close to being watchable, and that's not even counting the tag matches, the trios matches or whatever that Go Shiozaki has on his resume. Uh, one of the one of the best trios matches of the year was one of those build up tags to to uh, Go versus Fujita where they just go fucking ape shit on each other. Yeah. So it's yeah. not even that just it's not even just brutal. his Yeah, it's, it's so it's not even just that singles run. It's not even just the the title run. There's the tag title matches that he's that he would that he's good at. Goes a really good tag worker. He's a very good tag worker. So whenever he's put in that situation, you know, Noah does put their put their top of the card guys in the in the tag title picture, so you know he's getting tag title shots and everything. He goes up there and delivers in that too. While he's out here trying to go 60 minutes with Kano, while he's out here the whole year putting on Herculean performances from beginning to end, Go Shiozaki missed the majority of 2021. I don't care. I could not care less. Because when you put that kind of effort into one year so overwhelmingly, yeah, this is still going to get you that kind of spot. Go Shiozaki on an individual performance basis is the best wrestler of the pandemic. And there are people that are higher. There are people that have similar quality. People who blow me away more or just as much. But on an individual performance basis, no one was better than Go Shiozaki. You know what? I have to tip my hat to you because in a moment of cowardice, there were times where I had Go Shiozaki as high as, like, top three. And I moved him down out of fear. And I even joked about it when I said him. That I thought you possibly didn't have him on the list. Because I was, like, trying to cover myself. And because of how insanely high I was on his 2020 run. We talked about it during the time. If we had done a 2020 list... Goshiozaki would have been my number one. His 2020 was amazing. And I still got him, you know, top 20. And I should have had him probably in the top five, like I initially would have. But again, cowardice. So I have to I have to tip the hat, bow to you for having the the, the vitriol, having the, the willingness to, you know, just say and stick with it your gut feeling and put him where you did here. Number nine, 
where he deserves to be in the upper echelon of the people for the pandemic because yes his go shiozaki's 2020 is the kind of thing that people will continue to talk about or should continue to talk about for decades decade at least 10 years from now people should still be talking about that 2020 go shiozaki title run because it is some of the best wrestling ever the shit is fucking amazing the stuff that he did even when you start out the pandemic in the tag league the, the yeah the, the global tag league with uh nakajima he has great matches in that and then the stuff that he does in the n1 victory in 2020 phenomenal all the way through and then you add on to that all of the title reigns like you said best singular performer of 2020 best singular performer of the pandemic whatever it is yeah goshi ozaki again i tip the cat i have to bow down to you quentin for having the resolve to stick with the guns and go with what was right when I wavered and I faltered in the moment. My number nine, I guess maybe you could argue is a similar case. Unless somehow you have him higher, I'm, I I would guess maybe you don't. Minoru Suzuki. I do have him higher. I have him a, a, a few spots higher. Fantastic. All right. Let's, let's keep it moving. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if you said this guy earlier, but number eight, I have Daniel Garcia. Holy shit. It's time for some kisses. Number oh, eight. Oh shit, we got it? <laughs> I have Daniel Garcia. Yes. Oh shit, all right. <laughs> the number eight wrestler of the year officially, as far as, you know, psychology is dead is concerned. Daniel Garcia. Holy shit, man. I can't believe we actually had a match. I think we've that's, only done this yeah, like that, twice. Yeah, man, that's... Yeah, that's and I wouldn't expect that the one to be the one that we landed on too. But I guess we're in the, we're in the same spot. Like we love Daniel Garcia, amazing amazing run during this period of time. But some people we like more. Yes, there's some guys that I think are higher than him. Uh, like I said with Kevin Koo, I gave him the caveat. You know, king of the U.S. Indies technically because Daniel Garcia is now under contract to AEW. But the real king of the U.S. Indies is Daniel Garcia, obviously. Uh, Limitless C4. He was not IWTV champion, but he or IWTV. I said that right, right, right. Yeah, I'm slurring a little bit, but I'm not that drunk. Um, but yeah, the the limitless and the C4 champion, double champion. I guess he also had an EWS. Oh yeah, that's the Empire State Championship that he defended against Davy Richards in. I would say Davy Richards' best match of his return recently. Uh, until he wrestles uh, Daniel Makabe, I, I will be proud of Daniel to do that. And and then also after he wrestles himself, um, you know whatever, you know he he's very good at that. I guess we'll say, uh, yeah, Daniel Garcia, number eight, Quentin. What else do you have to say? Buffalo Brothers, great tag team. Violence, fuck the violence is forever versus Buffalo Brothers match happened. In January of 2020, and I want the rematch more than ever right now. Like, I don't know if you remember that match from C4, but it was really fucking good. Mm. But those two teams now would be so much better. It's only been two years, and the world's difference that we would have between them now. Quentin, talk about Daniel Garcia, please. What did I love to say about this fucking guy, man? Like, everywhere. He's done it everywhere. Limitless, Uncharted Territory, AW Television, going all over the place. He's proven why he is thought of the way he is at fucking 23 years old. The crown jewel, obviously, is Daniel Garcia versus Willa Yuta for the IWDV title. And 
I think it's fair to say that me and you and a lot of our friends have been very, have been fairly doom and gloom when it comes to the U.S. Indies, and it's not without reason. Danny Garcia versus Wheeler Yuta is like a fucking like ray of sunshine, a beam of hope that 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 came down. It was like, oh wait, what? Like, there's guys that can do this. There's guys that can do this, and it feels like a moment in time, and still feels special. Like I wasn't around for it. But you can attest to it. It's like, you know, when you go, when you see like, oh, Brian Danielson and Loki. Wait, how old are these two? Huh? They're, they're what? Brian Danielson is how how many years old? And then you watch and then you watch Wheeler versus Garcia and you watch it and it's amazing. And you remember, wait, Garcia is 23. He's so poised and so good and makes everything in the and everything in the ring that he does so meaningful and impactful. And he's and he's that young. He has such a grip on facial expressions and body language already. He's already understood that what that what makes you stand out isn't the moves that you do or even how you do the moves. It's the intent behind them. It's the intent behind everything that Daniel Garcia does. And he's technically proficient, of course. Look at his training. Look what he's inspired by. All that kind of stuff. But he does everything with an intent. Daniel Garcia's sharpshooter has a certain level of intent to it that you haven't seen since fucking Bret Hart. That's that. That's the kind of cloth that Daniel Garcia has come from. That's the kind of brain that Daniel Garcia has for wrestling, and he's and he's twenty three years old. This absolute insanity, and it doesn't matter. He can do a babyface. He can do it heel. I think he really found his calling as a heel, and he'll be a mega babyface when he gets the chance. But. Being a heel and facing JD Drake and Limitless, some of like so like you know, are you could if someone said that that's their favorite Daniel Garcia match of the year, that second JD Drake match, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with them. Or the vacation or the vacation land match from 2020 with Lee Moriarty. It's he he. What can you say about this guy? The MVP of WrestleMania weekend that match with that match with Kevin Koo from family from family reunion, I think it was or yeah. whatever whatever that sh- like. He's done it everywhere. He's the guy. He's the guy that, if all things go right, he's leading. He's leading wrestling into the next into the next ten to fifteen years. He's right there with. He's right there with MJF and Jungle Boy and whoever these guys that you're viewing as the pillars of the the, the future pillars of AEW or whatever. Perfect world. He's right there because at 23, his grasp of wrestling. His understanding of what makes makes a wrestler special, what makes a wrestler stand out, is so uncanny that you have to compare him to certain levels of people. I haven't felt this way about a wrestler this young since probably Trevor Lee. Probably, yeah. It's probably the, the like I, I remember having a Daniel Garcia match on my top one hundred back in twenty nineteen. Back in 2019, the C4 uh, with him facing Cedric, uh, not, uh, Josh Alexander. Oh goddamn! So if he's 20, if, he, yeah. if he's 23 now, he was fucking 20 or 21 back then. That's the kind of talent that we're talking about. We've been aware of Daniel Garcia. We were aware of him back in 2019, and he comes in during the pandemic, during a really hard time. I think to stand out for anything that's actual, like you know, worthwhile, and it's not just like. GCW meme bullshit he goes out there and is like yeah I'm just a really good wrestler and it works and it's not like he's trying to be anybody else it doesn't feel like he's forcing anything Daniel Garcia is 
really that. He's really cut from that cloth. He understands it to a T. He understands it to a T. And this guy will only get better because people like Danielson, people like Moxley are already taking notice of him and get it, that he is one of those guys. And if that guy can get better, and he's already this good now, we're talking we're talking like like we'll we'll have we'll be having conversations about this guy for another fifteen years. Yeah. Daniel the Daniel Garcia versus JD Drake matches was my highest of the Daniel Garcia matches. Um, and I had it at number six for my top ten, whatever. Uh, Daniel Garcia also, I think, had, like, two other matches in my top ten uh, for the year. Because, yeah, like, the guy... The guy is... And I... I think that he does stupid shit. <laughs> and there's stuff that I, I don't love that he does. But he's so good that it doesn't matter. That I can, like... I can, I can nitpick stuff, but still kind of be like, whatever, this guy is fucking amazing. And it doesn't matter who he works, what he does. The tag team with Blackwood, like I said, the Buffalo Brothers tag team is, like, phenomenal as is. <laughs> like, there's so much great stuff there. But then the singles, things that he does, over the top. It doesn't matter who he works. Lee Moriarty to Ashley Vox, the guy is, like, bringing it out. Fucking showing up on AEW and teaming up with 2.0 in this weird fucking thing. And the closest person that you could describe because the buffalo brothers like the buffalo kid the buffalo vibe thing that he brings to the character that he does in limitless um the closest person i could ever describe in wrestling to having that same aura that the the joie de vivre that uh, daniel garcia has is someone who we we haven't talked about yet but we will i assume uh in eddie kingston uh uh and it's interesting because they're both from New York, but from totally different places. But like having that the the chip on your shoulder, ness that Garcia has at 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 his peak as a promo, uh, is something that you don't see necessarily in wrestling done as well as it's done by Garcia. Like I've loved him. I loved him for so long, just as the Red Death. I, I you know I I've talked about it. I ordered a shirt from him on on uh, Twitter, and I had uh, you know messaged him and dollars and that, and he sends it to me. You know. And this was even before, like, the character side of it and the promo stuff came out of this guy. And I was just like, I'm such a big fan of him just wrestling. But the personality, like I said, as it comes out, it's like, it's so unique. And if we get to continue to see him develop this character and continue to, to percolate what he's doing, again, we, Eddie Kingston unfortunately showed up at the at the wrong time with this vibe. But Garcia getting to, to develop and, and show that off on national television as he does have this natural charisma and this and this ability to speak and to deliver a character that just that comes across like buffalo over, over everything like that vibe just it, it it drips with this again the the chip on the shoulder the like i have to say it because that's the only way i can make it real you know it's like i know that where i'm from is not the best place in the world but i'm going to tell you that it is and i'm going to say it until it becomes real and you can feel that, that that level it's like there's layers to the character there's layers to the the, the, the vibe of it it's like amazing um i talked about the lucha memes uh, earlier with gresham versus uh aramis right uh mm. daniel garcia versus Arez on that same show was the match of the night right and that's a mat that's a night that had jonathan gresham um it had like uh it had gresham it had 
Ricky Marvin. It had Laredo Kid. It had Extreme Tiger Wheeler Yuta. It had Blue Demon Jr., Fred Yehai, all that, right? All of that. And the best match of the night was was Daniel Garcia. You know, and Arez, maybe, maybe Arez should have made my list and he didn't. I don't watch Lucha. You watch it more than me, whatever. But on a night like that, with that level of talent, and to me, the match of the night was was Garcia because he got it. We talked about that, being wise beyond his years. He understood how to get over in front of this totally new crowd in Texas, doing a hybrid lucha show in front of fans that he's probably never going to interact with ever again. This kid from so high up in New York that he basically is fucking Canadian shows up in Texas and he knows how to get over instantly and he knows how to get over so well that he has the match of the fucking night. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about a 23-year-old Daniel Garcia. And I'll stop now for the sake of brevity because we're trying to get through the top 10 tonight. But uh, that's uh, number eight across the board. Quentin, number seven, feel free. All right, my number seven, someone you mentioned a little bit ago. My number seven is Takuya Nomura. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, I had him all the way back at number 11. Everyone, since they first laid eyes on Takuya Nomura, saw potential to, for this to be the best singles wrestler in Japan. Like, is that, is that is that wrong to say? Oh, like, I think that yeah, everyone's... Of course. I think that everyone saw that it's, when we first laid eyes on this guy. It was like show uh, from the, the... what the Oh, God. The, I was going to say the Tempura Boys. Um, Rupongi Vice or whatever. Like, it was like show, but like jacked up, gassed up show. Like, this guy, like, he has the same level of, like, charisma, same level of work, great build, but just, like, bigger. And you're just like, oh, my God, this guy's going to be the next big thing. And over time, we're waiting, and he has these flashes that you're like, oh, shit, like, is he there already? Like the Hideki-Suzuki match, where Hideki wins by knockout, and there was a, a Nomura versus Okabayashi match, where Okabashi was champion, and Okabashi wins, and everything. You have these flashes, like, oh, what the fuck? Is this guy, like, already there? And he wasn't there yet. He was still always great in everything that popped up that you could see. Six-man tags, singles, tag team matches, whatever. Teaming with, Hide- teaming with Hideki Suzuki, eventually eventually being an astronaut, whatever. Always really good. Always someone that was worth ranking, worth paying attention to, because no matter what he did, Takuya Nomura was never going to go out there and have a bad match. Now, in 2020, in 2021... It felt like Big Japan got fully behind Takuya Nomura. Astronauts, they go all the way with, giving them big wins, uh, have, giving them the BJW tag titles, having fantastic matches, facing Daisuke Sakimoto and, and uh, Kohei Sato and other, ver- and other various teams. And they're just running through Big Japan, having match after match that leaving you speechless, leaving you wanting to see more, leaving you thinking that the astronauts might be the best tag team in the world. He gets a singles push in 2021. And you're watching you're watching these matches and I remember hearing that the that the first Nakanue match wasn't very good. Boy was I misled. 
the first Nakanui match is fucking incredible. Holy shit, working a 30-minute draw versus Nakanue and a guy that's not it's not bad or anything, but not someone that I'm like, you know, searching it's like I'm searching for and I'm active I'm, act, I'm actively looking for Yasufumi Nakanue matches. I'm just not. And they go up there and just keep my attention for a full 30-minute draw and Takui's performance in it, selling his leg is fucking spectacular. The rematch isn't as good. But still a very, still a very, still a, still a very good match and a feel good moment for him to for him to win that title, and then we get to this crown jewel for me, which is the Daisuke Sekimoto match, and Sekimoto versus Nomura, man, like just what a fucking great match in the flag planted planted in the rock, like just yeah, this guy is here. He's that good. He can do this on a regular basis if you let him do it. The best Sekimoto match in years. The best single, the best singles match of Sekimoto's last few years by a fucking mile. And it's not that just Sekimoto showed up. Takuya Nomura stood in front of the best Sekimoto in a long time and didn't feel out of place either. And Nomura's never felt out of place. This guy and his stone-cold fucking expression has never felt out of place hanging with the big dogs. All he did was get bigger and hit harder. He was a kicky boy when he first came in. His fucking hilarious that he does now? Just jaw-dropping and leads to incredible sequences and is you know, one of the best lariats in wrestling at the same time will kick your fucking head off. It's, it's not fair to be so good at both of those things. To be this big hoss and kick so hard. It's... It's not, it's not fair. And he's facing Sakimoto. It doesn't feel out of place at all facing this guy. Knowing what Sakimoto means to not only Big Japan, but Japanese indie wrestling as a whole. And it's just a little glimpse of what the future could be with Takuya Nomura as the guy in a, in a company. And he goes on this year, and I think he dropped the belt to Okabayashi, um... When he when he when he faced him when he faced him earlier this when he faced him earlier in January whatever, and that was a, and that was and that was a really good and that was a really good match I enjoyed it, but it would this was just a glimpse of what it could be like if Takuya Nomura got the ball. We saw him do a thirty minute draw, it was great. Saw him versus a legend in that promotion. Did great. We've seen other glimpses of this in the past, and he's always delivered. We've seen him when he does the tag team and a six-man tag, whatever. Takuya Nomura is the fucking guy. He's the guy. And there's a couple people I have higher than him. But at this moment, at this moment, right now, I think he's the best singles singles wrestler in Japan. There is no one I would rather see in a high-profile singles match in Japan than Takuya Nomura. I have that much faith in him. I have that much trust in him. In 2020 and 2021. Was just confirmation. Of all these things. That everyone's always thought about him. He's that good. He's been that good. And Big Japan needs to stop fucking around. This needs to be. The guy. Yeah. Yes. A 100%. And. So there's like this theory i don't know if you ever heard this before and i think that a lot of people like model it after like wwe is a great way for this example of a of this theory which is that like 
the next top guy has to be the complete opposite of the last top guy, right? And Nomura is interesting because, as you talked about, like, Okabayashi, I guess you could say, is like the Big Japan top guy. But to me, the real top guy is Sakimoto, right? And I think that on the surface, you could see Nomura and think of him as being way too similar to Sakimoto to be the next top guy. That's why I think, like, someone like Daiche... Daichi Hashimoto like made sense like people thought that he could replace uh Sekimoto because they're so different right but that's just like looking at them um but Nomura I I honestly think I was like thinking and I was like he kind of you know throws the fucking throw throws that out of the book because he's so similar to Sakimoto that like and he could follow him up perfectly and I think he's already showing you he can but I realized that he's opposite in a particular way that I think stands out and is probably why he works so well um, as an opposite person. And Okabayashi almost bridges the gap in a way that makes sense. Is Nomura is just like slightly taller than Sakimoto, but enough to where the the opposite is that Sakimoto is the way that he's positioned and the way that he wrestles is like so insanely self-conscious about being small because of how short he is that he can't allow himself to look weak in any way and it's like really important that he like puts himself over by being so big and so thick because he's so short that like he has to like do everything he can to come across larger than life and Yuji Okabayashi is like a bridge to the Nomura who Nomura tags with a junior a fucking junior heavyweight and goes out there and does tag team matches as the astronauts where Nomura openly sells for other juniors. You know, they do mixed tag team matches, and he, he positions himself as an equal to Abe, who is a junior, and he positions himself to sell to other juniors in mixed tag team matches, and that's where he's the opposite of Sakimoto, and that's why he works as the new ace of Big Japan, as you talked about, because you need that opposite. You need the person who shows the counter, because for so long you've had the ace be this person who is refuses to show any kind of true weakness and now you have someone who's more than willing to put themselves on the same level as everyone they wrestle um and doesn't have this weird hang up about size and that's why namora like is i think really poised and ready to be the breakout new ace of big japan as you talked about that we want to see and i agree with everything you were talking about there with the matches themselves the tag team matches astronauts is the greatest tag team that exists on the planet if I listed them as a tag team, they would probably be number one, but separate, you know, they break up the way that they do. And then his single stuff is through the roof. Amazing. So yeah, Nomura, phenomenal. That's your number seven. My number seven, you haven't said yet, John Moxley. John Moxley is my six. Okay. All right. So... John Moxley, I'll talk about it. John Moxley. 2020, 2020, John Moxley is poised to be the biggest star in all of the world. Coming off of the hottest 2019 ever. The G1. Winning the championship. Like, you know, in AEW. Becoming the next, like, huge super... I guess he doesn't win the championship until 2020, technically. Alright, but he's getting set up. He does the G1. He seems like he's going to be running around the world, globe traveling, working all the indies, doing the insane shit. 
And then 2020 comes, he wins the championship, pandemic hits, and you're just like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, everything changes. And now he's wrestling in front of no crowds. The guy, the, the fucking god of the crowds. The, the man who's shown that he can do it all and make the crowds go fucking nuts. Another one who I've talked about, the twisted, the dark, the, the Gen Z vibe. Like, this guy has it, even though he's... You know, he's my age. He's not young. He's not, you know, he's not Gen Z, like something like, like, like Darby, you know, but he has the same vibe that speaks to that crowd. And now he has to go small and he has to go introspective. And he is doing stuff like, you know, the, the, the match with Jake Hager that everyone was going nuts for that when we ended up seeing it was not, uh, not that great. Um, but you know, the, the Brody Lee match, the, the, um, the Brian Cage, you know, work, and then he's showing up in different places, like, Continuing to work through the pandemic where he's just got his legs cut out from under him, continuing to feel like the biggest star in the world. And then he does kind of stretch out and have a couple matches here and there outside of AEW um, and continues to be the wild card, you know, showing up, winning the fucking GCW title. And you'd only, you, you couldn't predict that, you know, I mean, just the guy is just, when you talk about the pandemic, when you talk about COVID, I don't think you can talk, cannot mention John Moxley, you know, like this guy such an important part of pandemic wrestling inventing what pandemic wrestling even is like as everyone else is trying to figure it out he's still just going out there the biggest biggest star in all of wrestling probably you know number one wrestler of 2019 and then becomes like what the fuck you have to just reset and he just hits the ground running doesn't look back rides it so hard that eventually he has to go to fucking rehab <laughs> you know like okay it happens to all of us i guess uh yeah just insane john moxley number seven for me quentin number six for you yeah um john moxley felt like the biggest star we have seen in wrestling like in fucking ages that's how john moxley felt and he carried all of that in the ring you know what i mean consistently the Darby, the Darby Allen stuff on TV was was great, and I feel like it's like super underrated when we talk about the history of Dynamite Television. Um, the Brody, the Brody, the Brody Lee stuff is great, and it's for it gets fucked up because Brody comes in, and the, we we have to see this, and it happens with no crowd and all this stuff, and it's a, it's it's frustrating because I feel like that match would have a really hot crowd behind it, but. Alas, they don't have it, and they still go out there and bust their ass. And John Mox and John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston, and everything that we get from from that from that feud and that program, and just like even John Moxley as a, as a John Moxley as a squash worker, just losing his fucking mind and going ape shit on on jobbers and lower card AEW guys was 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 fantastic television to watch. You get the Moxley and Eddie and Eddie Kingston tag team that delivers. You get him showing up in Bloodsport settings facing Chris facing Chris Dickinson and Josh Barnett. And the Josh Barnett match is one of the best matches of, 2020, of 2021. It, he, he goes up there and just gets to do whatever and delivers. And one match you didn't even mention that for some people would be like a crown jewel is John Moxley versus Minoru Suzuki from, uh, from, early, from early on in the year in 2020. I think it was New Beginning in Osaka. Uh, that that John Moxley and, and Minoru Suzuki match, where they had these they had this big confrontation at Wrestle Kingdom, people thought Minoru Suzuki was leaving was was leaving New Japan and all this and all this stuff, 
John Moxley wins his match. Out comes Minoru Suzuki. Twitter and the building fucking explode as much as they can. Well, I guess not as much as they can because it was pre-COVID time. But the building fucking explodes for it. And the match delivers on the hype. A legitimate dream match between these two personalities. These these two maniacs. These two insane people delivered on all the hype when they got when they got in the ring. And I feel like that for some people that might be like the John Moxley match. We're talking about his case for being the wrestler of the pandemic. But I think you know carrying AEW through it through tough through tough times in 2020, having to adjust, having to adjust on the fly. You would think that John Moxley is a guy that would that would need a crowd to be uh to 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 really tra- to really translate. And I and I think he and I think he really showed that he didn't. John Moxley is whatever he wants to be, John Moxley is whatever the situation calls for. John Moxley is him and is him and one other dude fighting fighting in the bathroom. John Moxley is winning is winning the belt is winning the belt in front of twenty thousand people. It doesn't matter. That same intensity, that same passion, everything still translates just as much on the TV, no matter who's there and who isn't there. And uh, I think that's one of those like those one of those glowing endorsements that you can give a guy like Moxley that's like you wouldn't think of him uh, think of him as a technician like some other guys and like how that style translated to empty arenas or he's not a super hard hitter you know something like hitting hard can translate to empty arenas but that big personality that engagement that magnetism still translated without anyone in the audience yeah and that's a big part of it that i think for the the case for moxley as you just said is that he is the guy who is able to transition from both he can go the biggest crowd the tokyo dome packed house wwe wrestlemania main event to empty warehouse and he can have the match of the night and he can have a match of the year contender in both settings Number six for me, you haven't mentioned him yet. I would be shocked if he's not on your list, but maybe somehow you just really were not a fan of Shingo Takagi. I have Shingo a little bit higher. Okay. Okay. At number five, I have Minoru Suzuki, someone you just mentioned a little bit ago. I forgot where you had him at. Number nine, I have Minoru Suzuki. All right. Okay. Um... I think there's a strong argument you can make that Minoru Suzuki is the wrestler of the year in 2020. And I think that that is a, a big bulk of his case here for sure. Now for 2021, I know that both of us, a lot of people that we talked to, we weren't particularly enthused about the Minoru Suzuki U.S. tour. It felt kind of gimmicky and everything. And it started to wear out his welcome. And it's not the best that we've seen from him. But I can't say that any of those Minoru Suzuki matches in the U.S., were anything less than good. If we're going all across the board from Gresham and Henry to Green to Garini to Danielson to whatever else, I can't act like these weren't good. I can't act like these weren't good matches. And we look at this 2020, and we see this. We see the stuff with Shingo. See the stuff with Yuji Nagata. See CSG, one specifically the match with uh with Kota, with Kota Ibushi. He he was strong. He was strong all across the board. And again, one of the few bright spots in New Japan where it felt like a lot of the top guys during the year were bogged down by terrible feuds or couldn't adjust to the stylistic necessities of working in 
working at working in a capacity where there was no audience there to feed off of and to fill their time laying on the ground, letting the crowd rise and stuff like that. A lot of people's work suffered in the company. And Minoru Suzuki is one of those people whose work did not suffer at all. If anything, it made people maybe appreciate his work more. And there's been there's been this groundswell of support for, for Minoru Suzuki in the last few years, really. He's definitely gotten out there more. People people love him. People want to see him all, all over the place. Popping up in the U.S., popping up in Europe, popping up wherever. People are always going to be interested to see what Minoru Suzuki does. He's become really, really a cult figure. When it comes when it comes to pro wrestling, I think, and it's not it's not without reason. The guy, for the most part, delivers, and I always thought that he was, I think, super underrated by a lot of the New Japan fans. To be honest with you, I think a lot of your VOW types really disre- really dis- really disregarded and ignored and downplayed how good Minoru Suzuki was during pre- during periods of time. And I feel like twenty twenty was definitely a point in time where you couldn't deny him because he was one of the few good wrestlers on the roster. And in 2021, you saw that he could take that act on the road and, and perform on an even bigger level. I mentioned the Yuji Nagata stuff. I mentioned the Ishii stuff, Shingo, whatever. But then you can also go back to before the pandemic and you can think about that crown jewel of the Minoru suzuki John Moxley match for New Beginning and how electric and how, magne- and how magnetizing and... I can't, can't and must see that match was, and a lot, a lot, a lot, a big part of that is Minoru Suzuki in the aura that he brings to a wrestling match, and yeah, man, man, his a guy with a strange career, a guy with a really weird career. When you look at it, that who would have expected this guy to be a pro wrestler, then leave pro wrestling, and then come back and be as good as he and be as good as he's become. Over the, over the course of time since he's come back to wrestling full-time. And at his age, to possibly have been the wrestler of the year in 2020, it's it's a testament to just, again, how much, how well he understands wrestling. You can talk about the faces and the and the, and the, and the goofiness and all this stuff that he's really uh, hammered in on as time, as time has progressed. But the reality is, Minoru Suzuki knows how to execute things in the ring better than a lot of people do. And... When you needed to adjust your style, when you needed to change things, when things got stripped down, bare bone, and you needed to make adjustments, Renato Suzuki was one of the few wrestlers who adjusted on that level. Yeah, that's, I mean, a great way to put it. And when it comes down to the list, all the stuff you said there, I agree with for the most part, um, except for maybe the world, the U.S. tour thing. I actually maybe was higher on it than a lot of people. Um, there is some live bias there as well, but I do know that stuff got repetitive and there was a lot of sameness and maybe not the best, best stuff, but that's also, I think a lot of people comparing it and hoping to get 2020 Minoru Suzuki, like you said, arguably wrestler of the year level performances, and he's not going to do that uh, touring around in America, um, for multiple different reasons, obviously, um, the biggest of which being that he doesn't fucking need to, and he did not need to. Um, and I can attest to that from having seen him live. I referenced it on the, you know, earlier talking about, uh, the, the time bomb pro match that, uh, he, you know, possibly, uh, risked everyone there getting COVID. Uh, and then I saw him the next night, um, and have a phenomenal match with Chris Dickinson. And I explained it in the podcast in the past, just how well he showed that the guy's a worker's worker and the, the, he didn't do the same match that he's doing, but he did do the same match that he was doing on the U.S. tour because he just worked the crowd. Um, he may not have done crowd brawling, but he found a way to, 
to do a version of like in the crowd part of the match, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, and again, 2020, amazing year, super strong case. 2021, touring around, showing why he's such a phenomenal worker, such a big draw and such a huge star. Um, and like you said, underrated, obviously perennially underrated, especially in his New Japan run, especially by the, you know, the hardcore pro wrestling intelligentsia uh, who, you know, were watching New Japan for the, you know, Nakamura, those kind of people who would say that, like the, how much they loved him um, and they underappreciated just how good Suzuki was the whole time. Um, that said, again, this is the pandemic list. This is about the pandemic and Suzuki, as you talked about, showed pandemic wrestling from beginning to end he modeled the pandemic spirit um that was going on being that in 2020 toned down no fans everything is bare bones excels at that and then 2021 it's fucking party time baby pandemic's over nobody cares anymore we're traveling you know and that's the same mood that everyone was in uh, you know, when it came to the pandemic. So Minoru Suzuki, to me, he embodies the spirit of, uh, of everyone's kind of mood when it came to the pandemic, more than willing to, you know, re wrestle and do the old school style and, and bare bones and deal with this pandemic in 2020. But then by 2021, we're over it. And we're, we're touring around the country. Who cares if people catch COVID, you know, who cares? Like, we're just, we're, we can't do, we can't take it anymore. Um, so that's another part of like, when you talk about the pandemic, you got to talk about Suzuki, you know, like, come on, that's a, that's definitely an example of a uh, pandemic wrestling. Um, my number five is Eddie Kingston. I have Eddie Kingston higher. All right. Okay. My number uh, four, so we mentioned a little bit ago at six, is Shingo Takagi. Yeah. So I had Shingo number six. Uh, feel free. Uh, the goddamn man. He is someone near and dear to both me and you. Maybe not number one wrestler ever territory but someone that me and you both both love and think and think the world of and him in 2020 it felt like again this is the best wrestler at least the best male wrestler in japan we need to be taking him more seriously and everyone kind of saw the potential that was there the crowds were into him everyone liked him it's not as it's, def, it's definitely not as if uh, people weren't aware of how of how good Shingo is, but it was def, it was definitely a coming out party to see Shingo in the Shingo in the Never picture and everyone coming and coming as challengers. The stuff with Ishii, the stuff with Minoru Suzuki, the stuff with Sho, which I think I think is lost and how and how good Shingo's uh, year in twenty twenty was. His G his G one run was fantastic. I know that a lot of people didn't really like the Okada block of of the of the G one last year because Okada had the story going on, but Shingo versus Okada was the best was the best Okada was the best Okada match of uh of that G of that G one. And I still liked and I still liked other stuff that was uh that was in the that was in the block. Um, and then twenty twenty one comes and. We're seeing Shingo get elevated more and more. And Shingo takes this leap and he wrestles Jeff Cobb at Wrestle Kingdom. Damn near the damn near the best match on both nights. The Tanahashi the Tanahashi match from uh from the from Nagoya was fantastic. One of the best matches of the year. 
and then you get his New Japan Cup run, which is re- which is really which is really solid. Culminates in a final with Osprey, which people are disappointed because Shingo didn't win. But to me, I didn't really care that much because it still showed that they that they have a really strong interest and trust in Shingo, and that that wouldn't be the last time that we saw him in a position like that. And we see him at we see him at Dantaku. He faces Osprey when I mentioned and I mentioned about Osprey. That's one of the one of the best IWGP title matches of the last of the last few years, I would say. And when everything with Osprey goes down, a lot got put on Shingo's plate. A lot got put on Shingo's plate. It was it was rough to see this guy just go from losing this title losing this title match to having to get thrusted into this picture and figure things out, but Shingo took to it and it worked. I can't I can't I can't I can't say that it didn't work from from the from the vacant title match against Okada that I rewatched and it's I don't love it but it's still but it's still good rewatch rewatching him versus Tanahashi and it's not as good as the wrestling as in the Goya match but I still think that I still think that's very good another strong G one from him I really, I really like the Shingo versus Zack match for the title after 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 the G one happens, and he just he's a model of consistency. He never stopped, never. There's no gap. The gap is as long as New Japan isn't running shows. But from the moment everything comes back when they're back with the New Japan Cup, Shingo versus Show is a banger, and he doesn't stop having bangers from then on. You could say it's a Diminishing returns thing with all the different rematches, whether it was with Minoru Suzuki or with Ishii or with Goto for that matter. You could say you could say that, but yeah, you can't look at. I can't imagine twenty twenty one New Japan without Shingo or twenty twenty New Japan without Shingo. If Shingo isn't there, I'm I'm not sure what kind what kind of comp, what that company looks like. He really held that company together. We could talk about how good Minoru Suzuki was, but Minoru Suzuki is still like a lower card guy. In the in the never in the never picture, he's involved in stuff, but he's still a lower card guy. Shingo was part of that upper echelon, was always part of that upper echelon. We knew the value that he had in certain things. A guy that you could flip that switch on and he could be the IWGP champion. And lo and behold, that's what happened. But I can't imagine what pandemic wrestling looks like without Shingo Takagi. Is this the best Shingo run ever? No. Is this Shingo's best work ever? No. He's going out there and having bangers all the fucking time. I can't say that Shingo was ever bad in a match. If you don't like him, if you don't like a match that Shingo's in, I don't think it's Shingo's fault. I think the I think the match layout might be weird. It might go too long, whatever. But he's another guy on an individual performance basis. He makes everything work. He can turn it on and be a dickhead still, even though he's not a, even though he's not a true heel anymore. He can work as a baby face, and you want to root for him and love him. He can go out there and have a slugfest. He still goes there, goes out there and busts his ass and tags and multi-mans. Shingo, Shingo's the man, and it's really rewarding and uh, fulfilling to see Shingo be able to like be at the top of the mountain in New in New Japan for a period of time. Because it really is like validating all the years of Dragon Gate watching that me and you might have done and knowing how good this guy is. And just and just knowing that he always had the potential to be this kind of guy. And when all said and done talking about, about talking about Shingo's career, you're not gonna be able to deny him because he did it in Dragon Gate and in twenty twenty and twenty twenty one he did it as the guy in New Japan. 
Yeah, that's it. 2020 in the conversation right there with Minoru Suzuki for Wrestler of the Year in New Japan. Um, one of the most interesting runs when it comes to his New Japan kind of adept. He, I mean, I'm almost going to say like adoption into the company. Like he's the most seamless transition I've ever seen for something like this, even though they still went through the motions and built them from the bottom up and, you know, it goes from the juniors into the heavyweight. But I mean, the guy comes into the company instantly a star instantly a, 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 a draw instantly having phenomenal matches with everyone and one thing that comes to mind is it's it's like you talked about it years and years of doing this stuff and i think people thought you know oh you know big big fish small pond kind of guy all this but you have to also keep in mind that like new japan kind of became influenced by shingo shingo style and dragon gate style as a whole like Okada was trained initially in the Toriumon system and he comes into New Japan and becomes the guy and the house style of New Japan kind of becomes the Okada thing. And a lot of that is Toriumon and Shingo Dragon Gate style. So he comes in and this place is tailor made for him to instantly seamlessly transition in. Obviously Shingo is amazing. This is not downplaying how good he is, but it is like not that shocking when you really think about it. He's coming into the big company and it's primed for him to be the guy. And then he's also shown that like he can mix it up with heavyweights, you know, as he did in the uh, he's done in the Firefest and in the Champions Carnival in the past. So he comes in and he's he's ready to go. And he, you know, they have him go through the juniors. He picks up a weird kind of rival in Osprey that becomes like a big part of helping them build together into, you know, building up to the top and continuing that feud the entire time. Not, I guess that would be the one thing you say, don't, you wouldn't predict, but it's also super glaring to then see the, 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 the comparison of the two in that, like when Shingo makes it to the top and Shingo wins the title, he feels at home with all the other previous IWGB champions from the peak peak of New Japan, right? The current kind of the, the little bubble that I think we can all agree burst, right? And I would say that the evil before him did not, right? Like evil did not feel like he he was the like at that level. He was not like, and then Osprey, I think is the same thing. I think that Osprey wins the title. And he doesn't feel like Naito, Okada, Tanahashi, Abushi even, who gets it a little bit later, who, who kind of feels in that level. He's almost in between. But Shingo, Shingo wins the title, and Shingo feels at that level. He do, he feels like one of the big guys in the company, just as much a star, just as much willing or deserving of the championship as the people from the peak New Japan kind of upper echelon. And uh, again, like I said, just super impressive to have someone come in and, and from the jump be able to transition that smoothly into that role and you see guys who since the bubble has burst they don't they feel like downgrades and shingo is one of the only ones who did not feel like a downgrade so far um and one thing i wanted to i remember today and i forgot to mention uh and you know because of you talking about osprey and then you said you know no conversation i know you weren't telling me i wasn't allowed to talk about osprey but it did throw me off i forgot one thing i thought of is that Osprey's like dickhead heel character that he's playing is um it's like a, a pro wrestling gimmick version of uh the like disgusting shitty British people going to other European like EU countries and getting like shithouse drunk because their money is worth more than like poor countries and just being complete fucking like pigs uh going to other countries. 
that's been that's what uh, Osprey's character is. I didn't realize that until the other day. Like his character is a, a dirt, filthy, disgusting UK guy on holiday in foreign countries, just acting like a complete prick. Um, and meanwhile, Shingo's all class. Uh, Shingo wears the poppy, and he respects the Queen Mother. He's not out there making a making a fool of no. But uh, but yeah, Shingo Osprey comes across like a shitty tourist who's like gawping at the locals in 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 uh in japan and around the world while shingo he comes across like he's been there before he's got the poise he feels like he fits right in with everyone he's worldly you know and that's the difference he's more regal he's the dragon um so yeah shingo uh amazing like we talked we've already talked enough about him here uh moving on my number four you had him earlier back all the way back at number 18 um ah oh god kazu Ka- ah haguchi i always fuck up on saying his first name Kazusada Kazusada Huguchi. Um, and you, yeah, you said, yeah, I had him at eighteen. Eighteen. Um, twenty twenty tag team of the year. Car, you know, arguably tag team of the year. Um, with a with a eruption unit of the year with the 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 trios, um, holding the titles, continuing to build up. Phenomenal in the when you know they throw them into the singles tournaments. You know, the 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 um, D King and King of DDT. All of his matches fucking rule. Just, I mean, amazing. I fucking love this guy. Perennially feels like should be able to break through and become the top guy, win the championship, but uh, never going to get it probably. But just love having that weird feeling of rooting for him as an underdog, even though he's always positioned as the big monster heavyweight. Um, Really comes into his own over the course of these years, I think even more having star power, having presence, and, and again, like I said, feeling like feeling like a dominant top level guy in the company who's ready to i think finally really ready to be the guy and i don't know that ddt will ever give him the chance but uh but yeah 2020 amazing tag run singles run throughout 2022 more still like still great tag you know the eruption still exists throughout 2021 having great matches so yeah uh you know higuchi just phenomenal all around one of my one of my favorites for a very long time and just great worker uh the series with jun akiyama obviously like the two matches or multiple matches that they've had are all i think in that conversation for best match of the year whenever they're happening uh yeah just uh just i mean i fucking love the guy he's great like realistically jumps off the page everything you see every time i see him his having his performances are phenomenal he's just fucking amazing worker yeah, what is there left to say about Haguchi between the, between the two of us, really? Like, going on, coming on here every time we do a current wrestling list or ballot, he's he's a, he's a regular for us. And it's disappointing because we said all those things about Konosuke Takashita, who made both of our lists, and it feels like a lot of those problems are fixed if you just push Haguchi. Even if it's, a, even if it's not as this conquering babyface that beats Takashita... Imagine using Higuchi just as this big monster to, to the throne, and and how, and how that and how that would work just as a company to build around for a few months. And he's fantastic. Erup, eruption, uh, not erup, uh, eruption, uh, is a uh, is again one of the best tag teams in the world during 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 this run. Singles 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 work is just as good when Higuchi gets to go out there and spread his wings and. Rest and wrestle in the turn and wrestle in the tournaments or wrestle the odd singles match on house shows or Corkins or whatever. And he's one of the best sellers in wrestling. 
one of the best bumper, one of the best bumpers in wrestling, one of the best tag team workers. When he gets to go, when he gets to go out there and deliver in a big spot, he does. I.e., the Junakiyama title match from from 2021. He does it all. The guy has delivered time and time again. And again, it's it's frustrating to see a guy that talented, that good, feels like his 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 uh, his home promotion doesn't doesn't really understand the level of which I which he could operate at. If you even if it wasn't a long run, he there's no reason why Kazusada Higuchi can't be the KOD Openweight Champion. There's just there's no actual argument against it. He can do it. He has the talent. He's over enough to do it. And I think it just comes from a lack of create from a lack of creativity and not understanding what you have on your hands that you just that you wouldn't push a guy to that level when you see how he delivers in every other scenario. And I mean, the guy is like he's over with everyone. Even the people who say you know DDT's not for me, they fucking love Higuchi. Like he's the guy that stands out. He's an interesting one because it is like what's gonna happen. We just we just got done talking about someone like Takagi, you know Shingo, who has this late in career. You know, research. I mean, obviously, in Dragon Gate, he was pushed as a top guy at times, but it would be interesting to see something like a Higuchi moving on to another promotion later in his career and seeing him to get the chance to show off what he could have been doing the whole time. Um, this is kind of interesting now because we're to the top three, and I feel like you have to know what my top three are, like who there are. And I think I know your top three. I, I have a pretty good idea who's left that you haven't said. Um, we have we have crossover even still in our top three, but. It's so, for me, it's really exciting still to, even though I know what's coming, what order is it going to be in? So, uh, so let's do this. Let's, uh, let's, let's do the yeah, top I, three. Yeah, I, I know two of your, I know two of your top three. I got, I don't know who, I don't know who the one I'm missing is. I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't been able, I haven't been able to pinpoint I, I can't believe but, you can't predict who it is. I would think you would, but okay. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's going yeah, to be a thing when, once, once you say it, it's going to be like, oh, fucking of course. Okay. Uh, my number three. You just said a little bit ago is Eddie Kingston. All right, yeah, fantastic. I had him at number five. This is the person that I think defines the pandemic era more than anyone else when it comes to professional wrestling. When you look at where the year of 2020 started off for Eddie Kingston. And where December 31st, 2021 ends for Eddie Kingston. You almost can't believe that it's a real thing that happened. You can't believe that even just go from 20, even just go from January 1st, 2020 to December 31st, 2021. You can't really under, you can't really understand that someone like Eddie Kingston was able to accomplish all of all that he accomplished in one calendar year. The wrestling is great. We can talk about Eddie Kingston's wrestling all day. But as we've always given ourselves the leeway to talk about when it comes to these top 50s, it's about impact and we can also factor in promos. Eddie Kingston is the first guy since CM Punk's existence on WWE television where he felt like he broke up the format of American wrestling television. Everything else feels sanitized, feels clean, feels fake. Feels artificial, all that stuff. Even AEW at its best can still feel like that. It's still a television show. It comes across like a television show. You inject Eddie Kingston in his authentic New Yorkness on the AEW television for the first time when you see him come out versus Cody, and it feels different. The program feels different from that moment on. He's that impactful that he completely changes how a television product feels. 
And the wrestling was great. The wrestling always delivered, whether it was the stuff with Cody, the stuff before AEW on the indies, and being in the WXW 16 carat, where I thought he had some phenomenal performances facing Daniel Maccabe in the rotation. And, uh, and I, I, I forgot, I don't think he faced Car Noir in that, in that run. But even, but, but oh, even no, then, he did. Stuff with, he did. And there's a very interesting, uh, very interesting story about that match, huh? That I don't know if I'm it was allowed a good, to it share. Was a, but uh, yeah, it was a semifinal. It was a, good, it, it was a good. It was a good match. I remember, so I remember that being good. Yeah. So like, Eddie was Eddie was the best guy in the 16 carat before he before he before he goes on and uh, and moves on to AEW, doing the typical Eddie Kingston journeyman journeyman stuff, going all across the U.S. Indies, all across all across Europe, and deliver and delivering every promotion that he can. And he makes his way to he makes his way to AEW, and who could have saw it coming that Eddie Kings that Eddie Kingston would become a marquee name in AEW to the point where there's a legitimate argument people are making going into full gear. Wait, hold on. Should Eddie Kingston beat John Moxley? Do you understand how insane that is? That that was a legitimate conversation that was happening, and I don't think that anyone was wrong for thinking about that because of how hot Eddie Kingston was because of how good Eddie Kingston was that no you might want to ride you might want to go with the hot hand here this is something different this is something that you could make a lot of money off of Eddie Kingston was was legitimately like wait this guy should be world champion and his story is ridiculous to think about the fact that this guy was close to retirement at, at numerous points having to sell his home during the pandemic and every and, and everything this all this stuff is true and real and resonates when you see Eddie Kingston on television because every because every single word that he says on television is authentic and real everything everything about Eddie Kingston is real when you watch Eddie Kingston wrestle it's real so you can watch Eddie Kingston versus Miro you can watch Eddie Kingston versus CM Punk you can watch Eddie Kingston versus Brian Danielson watch him tag with John Moxley uh Watch, watch his promos. Watch his watch his squash matches. Watch him versus Daniel Garcia. Watch him uh, throughout the uh, World Title Eliminator Tournament. Do whatever you see. All of this in the wrestling almost takes a back seat, no matter how good it is. I mean, understand Eddie Kingston's mind for pro wrestling. You can call him a dork for King's Road or whatever, but at least the dude understands it. The dude has taken a lot of the best qualities from someone like a Kawada and didn't just apply it to doing Kawada kicks. He applied it to his actual selling. Learn, learn, oh, Kawada took Kawada learned how to sell or to learn or, or took selling or learn how to take aspects of boxing and boxing knockouts and apply that to his selling. Well, I want to, I want to do that too. That that's the kind of stuff that takes you from being a parody act or being someone that does something without understanding it. And you really, under, and you really grasping how something works. Eddie Kingston grasps how that thing works and he take and he takes it and he can work in a more typical format like facing Brian Danielson and going tip for tap for late for for limb work or can work in a all out all out sprint all out bomb fest like see like CM Punk at all out or uh what was it all out full gear what the fuck it was and that's the kind that's the kind of that's the, that's, that's the kind of worker that he is and like I said, I've I've been on here before and I've talked about how how I'm not really that into Eddie Kingston. When I first was when I when I first was introduced Eddie Kingston, I thought he looked goofy, like looked like a dork. His wrestling doesn't his wrestling didn't resonate with me, and I'm fine admitting coming on I'm I'm fine coming on here and admitting that I was wrong. That Eddie Kingston's great. 
Eddie Kingston is a fantastic pro wrestler. And this might even might not be the best work that Eddie Kingston's ever done. I'm fine saying that because I'm not super in tune with what the rest, what rest of his career looks like. But really getting fully invested and fully involved in Eddie Kingston in the last two years has been a rewarding experience to see from a guy on the on like on the brink where he was to being able to arguably win or make or make an argument that he should win the AEW World Championship like. What like nothing gets more 2020 and 2021? What the fuck is going on here? Than Eddie Kingston making making it to the top of AEW. Yeah, and uh, you know, hearkening back again, something like like the Shingo thing. Like it's very similar. The the build it makes sense. Like oh, you build him from the bottom and and make him earn his way up, right? But but it it just felt so natural, and he felt like from day one he could have been at the top. And they just kind of worked him, worked him up. But yeah, like interacting, he comes in with the Cody match, um, and the promo that he cuts to open up the Cody match is like, what the fuck, all time great promo, really. Um, and it just kind of goes under underappreciated now. At this point, it feels like a relic of the pandemic, and I think something easy to forget. But you know, and still, maybe not Eddie Kingston's best promo. Tons of great promos from the guy, but. Comes in with that and then feels like he's on the undercard, puts together this like family group and then and, and moves from there, then kind of mixes in and out with like a, the, the, the death triangle thing. And then, yeah, gets teamed back up with Moxley after you know wrestling Moxley and talking about their history. And then to the point, yeah, where like he feels like a top guy, he's upper echelon of the company, could, pops in on commentary, cuts great promos, can wrestle anybody, you know, again, from the from the top of the card to the bottom of the card, wrestle dark or on on dynamite main event dynamite you know wrestle on dark or whatever it is and uh yeah i think it's it's interesting to say is this is this eddie's best run and i i would say yes like it has he had better matches has he had better promos at different times or equally as good sure but i think that putting everything together as a complete package having there's something to Kingston and the way that the kind of wrestler that Kingston is, as you talk about the promos and the wrestling and all of that, that he needed to be on a big stage from the beginning. I don't necessarily, he's good on indies and on small rooms, but if you look back and you think about the big, like the moments for Eddie Kingston, the moments for Eddie Kingston are, are the things that are presented larger than life and, and big over the top moments you think about like the um the chikara the grand championship title match like that was presented and and put together and that's a lot of people will say that's eddie kingston's best match um like that's presented as a a larger than life over the top big time moment and that's where eddie thrives so he like i think that being on national television and being in a big company that does pay-per-view and all that is like it, it he thrives in that and that's like what he's meant for that's why this is it's so odd that he's like done it he's he's made this during the pandemic when he wasn't in front of crowds and then finally when they do get back on the road he sees just how fucking insanely over he is and just how much the crowd fucking loves him and it's nuts to see um, you talked about it. Like I, I, I said, <laughs> I said, Tam Nakano is the best worker, uh, in the world. Right. But like Eddie gets that same emotion and that same thing, but it's like easy to kind of overlook it and think, because you, like you said, he's so real that it, he transcends work. 
Like, Eddie Kingston doesn't feel like he's a worker because I don't think that he's doing anything but being Eddie. And that's probably unfair to look at his what he does and he does intentionally that way. But he's so fucking good at it that I don't believe he's working even though I know he is, right? And that's like that's that level of work that's like beyond it. Um, you mentioned the 16 carat and, you know, not remembering the car in a war match, all that, but... The thing about that weekend and that 16 karat, that WXW weekend to me is a big fucking deal because it was the last really good big thing before the pandemic hit, right? And Eddie Kingston was the star of that tournament. 16 karat gold of 2020, Eddie Kingston was the biggest, baddest heel. He set up the, the, the you know, f- the finals. He, he was the most important guy, I think, throughout the tournament in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, he... He had that amazing match with the rotation that was like a fucking eye opener for a lot of people. And then, yeah, he sets up Cara Noir to become the winner by being the best possible heel that he could be. Uh, So, yeah, Eddie Kingston, again, like you talked about, phenomenal. And he's still doing this shit to this day because you think about it, like I said, he's so good in AEW. But he just recently, I don't know if you saw the Gabe Kidd match on New Japan Strong. But he pops over to New Japan Strong and he gives this like young rookie kid this fucking phenomenal match that has drama and emotion and and is still really hard hitting and feels like a fucking fight. And it's just like he could still do it at every level possible. Um, yeah, the Eddie Kingston. I, I think I think enough has been said about Eddie Kingston at this point. Uh, uh, that is your number three, right? Uh, ready for my number three? Yeah. Here? Yeah, you can do that and. Uh... If you want to hear more about Eddie Kingston, you can just uh, go tweet at Joseph Monticilio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, shout out to, as you said, Joseph Monticilio, because I heard someone mispronounce his name uh, uh, on Sam's podcast on the network just recently. So, FYI, that's how you say it. Um, <laughs> number three, biggest gap for us. We have crossover here, but the largest gap of anyone, you had him all the way back at number 38, if people can remember that far, Hiroshima. I did not realize that you hadn't said them yet. Wow. Okay. You have a really, really DDT heavy top yep. three, I guess. Well, that's, <laughs> or top five. To me, okay. for the pandemic, DDT was the best promotion in the world for the whole pandemic. That's, I, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, the, that's probably true. The one that I paid attention to the most, the one that I got the most out of. That's not to say like that I wasn't already a fan of DDT for years going into this. I already was. But the pandemic really solidified DDT as the, basically the only place that I really cared about watching regularly, especially in Japan. And, uh, the place that's giving me for my money, the best quality of matches day in and day out. And I talked about it earlier, like, Oh, some of the people who say DDT is not for me. And I'll be honest. I don't, I skip a ton of DDT at this point. I do not really have time for most of the comedy bullshit matches. Um, but there is like a lot of really fucking good stuff in DDT at this point where I end up watching most shows. And if it's not the big, big shows, I'm not skipping a lot. I'm end up watching most of the shows unless it's like judgment or Peter Pan or something where there's like a ton of comedy stuff or anything with pheromone at this point, which uh, God damn, I cannot stand pheromone, but whatever. Um, and that's why DDT is so heavy on my list. Hiroshima again, continues to be the ace. He starts out the pandemic with the championship. He wins it just, just a little bit before, um, the pandemic starts, uh, and then I think unifies it with the extreme title at some point, um, throughout there. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, continuously having, you know, starts out with the, with the title, doesn't keep it insanely long, uh, throughout the event, throughout the pandemic. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> that's uh that was it he had the shinya aoki the blindfold match is i think where he where he uh no that's not it but that match was fucking hilarious i'm trying to remember when he i think he just unified the title when he won the the open weight title um but you know it's not officially unified he just had both belts uh, but yeah, the the Shinya Aoki blindfold match was fucking ridiculous. God damn. Like, again, this is why Hiroshima is the fucking man when it comes to DDT. I've, I made this point a long time ago, but the only way that you can be a top guy in, in DDT, and it's why Higuchi can't be, is that you have to be basically like a pretty boy twink, and you have to be able to do comedy where you're not the butt of the joke. And Higuchi is not a pretty boy twink. Unfortunately, he's much too big. He's more of a, even at his best, he's kind of an otter. He's more of a bear kind of guy, you know, even though he's very smooth. Um, and his his personality is that for any kind of joke or any kind of comedy, it's always on Higuchi. You know, Higuchi is the butt of the joke, but not Hiroshima. Hiroshima is, you know, pretty boy. He's twinky. He, and when he does comedy, he can, he can be basically the one who's, who get, gets over in the comedy and you still like him. Um, that said, yeah, he's like he's kind of like the all-American boy of Japan. He's got that same kind of vibe, um, and he can do everything from like Shinya Aoki, who obviously you don't expect him to do comedy, but he does a ton of comedy in DDT. Um, but he can grapple with him, and he can also do comedy with him, and he can do six-man tags, and you know, in in Disaster Box, like help build the future with guys like Yuki Ueno, like being underneath his his. Uh, his wing and building him up to being a top guy and obviously a clear future top guy. And that's because of Hiroshima, you know, and, uh, and then continue to have, like I mentioned earlier, the eye blood fucking classic to me of with Yuji Okabayashi, which is like uh, a match that sticks out insanely high for me for the, for the pandemic. Um, again, he can do it with anyone. He's has the best, pretty much the best, uh, ugh. I'm just going to say charisma, chemistry with everyone on the roster. He can always have a great match with pretty much anyone. Yukio Sakaguchi, one of his best opponents. Aoki, one of his best opponents. Uh, Soup, you know, Takashita, one of his best opponents. Like, who isn't one of Hiroshima's best opponents? Basically anyone. He can go out there and have a great match with them. Uh, and yeah, the Yuji Okabayashi tag team. Uh, what is it? Smile, Pissanari. It was like fucking insane. Did not expect it, but you got these like aces from two different promotions coming together and having this just phenomenal tag team that's so much fun and obviously it's just a way to like keep Hiroshima busy or at least you know somewhat seems like it's just a way to keep Hiroshima busy but it's not like it actually is like super fucking uh fulfilling and enjoyable to watch uh they have tons of matches with different versions of Jean Risu which we mentioned earlier that are all pretty much every one of them out of the box are, are pretty great matches with with eruption um Matches with the Sonic Club, like yeah, like just such a great team. Um, and again, the 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 best, just technical, like on the mat grappling technical. He can do everything from pro style to shoot style, MMA style, all of that. He can just have like bomb throwing, fucking fireworks, spot fest matches with pretty much anyone. He can do multi mans. He can do it all. He excels at everything. Super likable, as I said, kind of that boy next door kind of charm to him um, so that you just kind of, he's adorable. You just kind of, you melt when you see his smile and his little dimples. Uh, yeah, Hiroshima, phenomenal, phenomenal wrestler. I mean, yeah, one of the best wrestlers of all time. I probably undersold him. I probably had him way too low. I'm fine with, I'm fine with admitting, I'm fine with admitting that. But a model of consistency, I think that's what you can apply to all the DDT guys on your on your list but i think the thing that might hold harashima back even though he winds up at number three for you is the is maybe he doesn't have like this this definitive role where you could say he was the best at this 
during this period of time that I think you're that I think you're going to say for your number two wrestler. So I I'm I'm I'm, to, I'm all in there from the from tag team work to being the, from being the champion to work to, to working the multi mans working tags all over the car doing comedy. That's that's why we think highly of the DDT guys because those because those guys have to like fulfill so many different jobs any give any given night and the vol and the volume is really high too that someone like Harashima even though he's up, even though he's up there in age at this point it's still go, it's still going out there and delivering on a high level just as high as anybody else in the world when it comes to wrestling he's he's still he's still that good yeah i mean people say, uh, people say like wrestling should be a circus or whatever and ddt is honestly for pro wrestling one of the purest like three ring circus kind of promotions that still exist really there's not a lot of promotions who really give you everything the way ddt does and the thing about ddt as you just said is like one night you're supposed to be the trapeze and then another night you're the clown and they just like they shuffle the guys around like that where they go and they do everything on the circus from night to night and and that's why the wrestlers there have to be so fucking good all right now uh this might be controversial so i'm prepared Ooh, for you shit to let out, let out let out a big gasp but uh it's coming my number two is Brian Daniels. Why do you do this to me, Quentin? Why? Ah, well, at least we had one match on this this one. I was hoping we would have two. Um, but all right, Brian Danielson. I have him higher. <laughs> <laughs> and I number you, and, and I know who your number two is at this point. Yeah. So you can go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> close to the close to the biggest gap, but not quite the biggest gap. Uh, you had him back at seventeen, Yuki Ueno. Um, you talked about it there, but yeah, the the. The difference between him and Hiroshima is not necessarily even quality of output, but it is where one guy is. One guy's being shifted down while the other guy is being moved up. Um, and not and, and not just that. Like this one, this guy is also the best babyface in the world currently. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. Starts out twenty twenty in with Nautilus in the conversation. There's basically three tag teams that are you know in the conversation for best rest for best tag team for the 2020s it's like nautilus eruption and astronauts and like any one of those teams and nautilus and eruption it's weird because a lot of their case is made from wrestling each other um especially in 2020 but uh yeah those are the teams so he's has a phenomenal tag team through 2020 starts to starts to mix it up in the singles matches and as you said uh insanely lovable underdog baby face uh it, crazy high spots just like um yeah just so fucking smooth the, the 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 purest most like second coming of kota abushi and ddt that you'll ever fucking see um but then we do get we do get kind of towards the end of uh of 2021 we get something a, a bit of an interesting uh, streak of him with a little bit more cockiness and a little bit more aggressiveness um in the in the the do tournament um and we do see a little bit yeah like i said a little bit more interesting kind of uh vibe coming out of him and we talked about it when we reviewed uh the the do in general um and we also talked about it um with his with his interactions with june akiyama in particular and then also with uh, takashita um that as you talked about being this really good baby face but also showing a little bit of of cocky a little bit of cockiness a little bit of having a a little bit different vibe to him that there's something there as well so yeah there's talked about best baby face in the world um insanely like fiery and great selling over the top just i mean 
the most watchable, the most, like, when 2020 started, it was, like, for me, it was, there was times where it was neck and neck between Higuchi and Ueno for who's going to be the wrestler uh, of the year, and by the end of the pandemic here now, we're talking about the whole thing, uh, Ueno, I felt like, really ended up, like, outshining that, and as much as I didn't want to, and I wanted Higuchi because I've perennially been a Higuchi pusher, um, I just had to, I had to end up giving it to, a. Uh, to Ueno for, as you said, just getting that chance to really stand out and show what he's excels at at one particular thing. Um, and, uh, and, and just coming into his own finally and being ready to be the next big thing. And that's kind of the major difference there between him and Higuchi as well, is that he's there and he's actually clearly going to be going to fulfill the destiny while Higuchi doesn't seem like he ever actually will. And Ueno is in the midst of doing that, even with something that feels like a setback where he loses to, to Takashita in the finals, you know, that that's a loss. That's really just meant to set up building him to bigger and better things moving forward. Um, so yeah, Yuki Ueno, my number two wrestler of the year. Um, so Quentin, I, I know who your number one is, but let's, you know, let's do it. Let's go. I didn't get to talk about Yuki Ueno. Oh, yes, that's true. That's true. Feel free. Um, But, yeah, Yuki Ueno is, like, you can look at people like Lee Moriarty, Daniel Garcia, Hoodfoot, and say that they're, they've been the breakout stars of this of this period of time, and you, and you wouldn't be wrong. But I think that overall, if we're looking at someone that eventually is going to be the face of a company to break out during this point of time, it was Yuki Ueno. Obviously, Takashita is where he is, and Takashita is only 26, 27 years old, so it's not like the Takashita era will be over anytime soon unless he, want, unless he wants to leave and go somewhere else, which some people might be hoping for. But y- Yuki Ueno, if things go the way that they should, should be right there with him, should be right there with the Endos, should be right there being someone who is a multi-time KOD Openweight Champion. I think he's shown it that he has that level of talent that he can go in there versus guys like Sakaguchi, Harashima, Takashita, Akiyama, whoever, and he's going to deliver. So the tag the tag team, they took it along, they took it along slowly. They took, there was a slow it was a slow burn with Nautilus using that as a vehicle to get both Yoshimura and Yuena over and Yuena was wound up being the better of the two and even when even when Nautilus went on hi, went on hiatus and thing and things changed, and joining thirty seven Kamina, Ueno doesn't feel like he's any lesser than Takashita in that in that unit. I don't think that is it, do, would that be would that be fair to say? I don't feel like Ueno's like the junior to, junior to Takashita oh, no. in, in, in anything. No, like I said, he lost he, to him in the finals there, but it it felt like it's just it's just meant to be a wrinkle in the story, and they're still like side by side. Yeah, he feels like his own man still. And I think that Ueno, we still haven't seen how good he can be. I think that still, there's still their potential for him to be an even better wrestler. But for right now, to have an argument that he's the best babyface in the world, to have that, to have that argument that he that when he's in a tag team, he's in the best tag team in the world, to have that really strong universal universal title run or universe title run uh, in D, in DDT. It's, it's, it's a lot going for Yuki Ueno. And again, the DDT guys, you can argue that DDT was the promotion of the pandemic. So I know why Tim ranks them all very highly. And the thing that, and the thing that set Ueno 
uh, that sets you one apart is that he has that case of being the best at a particular role, and I don't think anyone else has that. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because he, you know, that universe title was like kind of meant to be more of a joke thing or whatever. You're like, from what I had heard, it was not meant to be what it was before the pandemic hit. Uh, there was a different concept of what the title was going to be, and Ueno took it and made it feel made it feel like the number two most important title in the company and actually like something that was worthwhile. Um, and unfortunately it seems like it, it, they're not going to take advantage of that and continue to push it as a, uh, as a top title. But uh, either way, like that really shows, you know, they, they always say like the title doesn't make the man, the man makes the title. And Ueno, Ueno made that fucking title. That was a, it was kind of a joke belt. It was not a serious championship and he really like legitimized it and made it seem like a serious championship. All right. So, um, uh, I disappointed you with whom with who my number one is not. I'm not disappointed. But, uh, I'm not disappointed. I just <laughs> I'm disappointed because I was hoping that we would met, we would just have it be the same. It's I I, it's, I get it. It's razor close. It's really really fucking close. Uh, but my number one is Mayu Iwatani, and uh, who who is your number one? Uh, if I have Mayu Iwatani at number fourteen. Um, and my number one is. Brian Danielson, the American Dragon. Okay, so I have Danielson at number two. I'll tell you why Danielson isn't number one. It has more so to do with Mayu than Danielson. I feel like Mayu is a top five wrestler in both 2020 and 2021. Danielson, while he has great stuff in 2020 the gulak match the aj styles intercontinental title match and there's others and there's other stuff scattered in there it's a little bit fewer and far between when daniel when daniel bryan appears on wwe programming he's very very good obviously i don't need to sell anybody on that he is great when he gets the chances but we're not we can't act like he wasn't phased down during that period of time, he just wasn't an emph- He just wasn't. He just wasn't very emphasized. So there's great stuff versus Jey Uso, versus Drew Gulak, versus AJ Styles, and that's all good. But if I'm comparing that to someone who I think might have been the wrestler of the year in 2020, and someone that in 2021 might not be the wrestler of the year, but is still like top ten to five, I. I average that out when I go Mayu. That's it. Then would could you argue that Danielson is so overwhelmingly the wrestler of the year in 2021 that the 2020 kind of gets canceled out? Yeah, I buy. I would buy that argument for sure. I think that's definitely probably why you have him as high as you do because you don't watch WWE. So his 2021 is that overpowering. But I look at Mayu and I feel like Mayu is a model of consistency all across the board from tags triple threats any title eight man tags elimination tags gauntlets house shows of nobody there the biggest platform possible whatever the fuck she she's she's incredible every time whether it's facing momo watanabe facing takumi aroha Going in, going into this, going into the Grand Prix and facing and facing Tam and facing Julia, facing Star, facing Starlight Kid, 
facing facing Utami, and I feel like I feel like I've, Utami's been very hit or miss or big matches. I think that Mayu versus Utami is without a doubt Utami's best best match in uh in the in the, in the big main event settings. So I think that she I th- so I think that she is the best person in order to elevate Utami in order to where she needs to go. I think that she's perennially underrated, perennially, and I think this this dates back you know six or seven years at this point. She's just as good of a flyer as as, as Io. She might not do the moonsault outside or do whatever, but Mayu's flying is crisp and looks dangerous when she busts it out. She's just as good as just as good of a babyface as Kyrie. And I think that she's just as good of a heel or works in control just as good as EO is EO too. She was always the like lead, the most underrated out of the out of the uh, out of the three them. In looking at where she is now, EO was great in 2017 and 2016, but I don't know if she could do what Mayu did in 2020 and 2021, just carrying that promotion on a show by show basis. And it's not to say that Stardom wasn't having wrestlers going out there and being good. Stardom has a fantastic roster. If you just go from top to bottom, how they're developing their talent, they have a really good roster. An average Stardom show should be should be good all the time just based on the talent they have. But Mayu was always head and shoulders the best. Mayu's floor is high as hell. We talk about how high someone's floor is and that being something that can take them over the top. Mayu's floor is high as fuck and her ceiling is match of the year. That's the kind of wrestler that she is. That's the elite of the elite kind of wrestlers. That's a Brian Danielson level wrestler where your floor is higher than everyone's and your ceiling is match of the year, one of the greatest matches of all time. That's what Mayu operates as. That's what Mayu has. Her skill set is one of the best in the world. Her consistency is bar none. And it was so close between her and Danielson. It really, really was. But I think that just Mayu being how good she was in 2020 and how good she remained in 2021 in her big spots and when she and when she was and when she was emphasized I think that's what that's what gives her the edge for me going out there versus Tam Nakano for the white belt and having one of my favorite matches of the year you go back to the big stardom show in early 2021 and you have her versus Yoshihiko which is a gritty fucking tough ass bomb fest between 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 the between those two and yeah, and, and and everything that she does, just tags, her her six her six man stuff, and in any of the random bullshit that they might throw her into, Mayu's always great in it. She just brings every she just brings everyone everyone's level around her up. She makes every she makes everyone better. She elevates a situation. She knows what a situation calls for. She knows when to be super sympathetic. She knows she knows when to tone it down. She knows she knows when to go all in with the theatrics. Her versus Jungle Kiona is one of my one of my favorite matches of 2020. Another heartbreaking jungle loss in a big title match, but again, a fucking phenomenal match where Mayu is in control and knows when to turn it on in Jungle's hometown and knows when to give and knows when to give Jungle the lead so Jungle can feel like she has a chance here. She's a she's a master of pro wrestling. I don't understand how people don't 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 see my don't see how good Mayu is. She's that level of worker. I'm sorry. She's she is just I I could say that she's better at Io and Kyrie at this point. And Kyrie has been gone and this and that. Like I know, but Mayu at this point, I feel, is the best wrestler Stardom's ever seen. She that's the level she operates at. 
That's how good she is on a night in and night out basis. And it was super close between her and Danielson. This is probably the closest race I've ever had for um for for wrestler of the year stuff. I'll be honest, like it was it was this close. But ultimately, I did wind up giving the edge to Mayu here. Uh, Tim, go ahead. You can tell me why I'm wrong. I won't say that you're wrong. Um, I will not. Uh, I will not argue with you when you talked about that. I do think <laughs> you put me. You. I think you did this intentionally too, because you put me in a very difficult position, where basically to counter your argument, the only thing I can do is praise WWE wrestling, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's Daniel Bryan in WWE. And as you talked about, like, sure, he was phased down in 2020, but he's still, I, I won't say comparable, but pretty close to comparable amount of output of, like, high-quality singles matches, I'll say, just singles matches, to Mayu in 2020 in wwe but that said like yeah like unfortunately nothing is going to have any drama nothing's going to feel as important nothing is going to have the gravitas of like actual wrestling i hate to say this but this is why the daniel bryan case at number one is so important to me is that daniel bryan is, and brian danielson is a return to to professional wrestling which is what i love and is why, like, having him back has been a breath of fresh air for me that's been doldrums that has not just been the pandemic. I mean, we talked about it in 2019. Like, I'm, like, not in and checked into wrestling like I used to be as much, you know? This list, our list for the pandemic here is fucking crazy. This is the most crossover we've ever had on any list, right? Like, and that's because I, they're, oh, number one, the U.S. Indies just don't exist. And number two, like, most of the, like... Japanese wrestling puro that I would normally pay attention to. I'm just not, I just don't have the fucking energy. So I'm not watching Dragon Gate as much. I'm not watching Big Japan as much. I'm not watching All Japan. Like, I'm just not watching any of that stuff. You know? So, so I'm, I'm now watching like the same stuff, like barely, even barely watching. And we're just watching the same shit. We're pulling from the same pool of talent. That's why, that's why this, this, uh, list has always been so much fun. It's because me and you, watch such a varied amount of things and, and there's tons of crossover but we appreciate things differently and we you know get engrossed in things differently to where like there's a really interesting like back and forth like having this much crossover i won't say is like not fun for me i enjoy talking about this stuff but i think for people listening to it a lot of people listen to our year in list the people who've talked to me about it and they enjoy our year in list because we talk about people that they've never fucking heard of i'm sorry but there's not a lot of people on our list that nobody's heard of you know we're at the point now where there's not much to talk about. And that's why I think you're right. I agree with you. From the from the spirit of the, the psychology is dead top 50 list, you are right. Because we never have our number one be the chalk pick. And I feel like for a lot of people, Brian Danielson is the chalk pick. Brian Danielson is, to most people, they feel like that's the guy. And as I said, I think that the WWE work in 2020... There's a lot to like there. There's some Herculean efforts. This is a word that I've used on the podcast multiple times now. When it comes to the fact... Not, 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 to, not to cut you off, but it's like, again, you could still make the argument um, not, like, that Daniel Bryan has like the top two matches in WWE in 2020. Yes. He's still like... Gu the Gulag match and the Styles match, again, 
are still probably the best matches WWE had in 2020. <laughs> the, he has amazing match with Cesaro. <laughs> he has amazing yeah. match with uh, Nakamura. He has amazing match with um. Oh God, wait, Sami Zayn. But this is why I say the Herculean effort. He continues to be the only person on the fucking planet who can have a watchable to good match with the Fiend. And he proves that in 2020. Right? Like, that's why I say there is still a case to be made in 2020 for for Brian Danielson. Daniel Bryan, the American Dragon. Because that level, the fact that nobody else ever was able to have a good match with the Fiend. Not even close to good. Nothing approaching good. And Daniel Bryan was able to pull it off. I'm sorry, but like that's enough. That's a case right there. To say like he wasn't doing nothing in WWE. And then he has a, a WrestleMania main event that he says he's sleepwalking through. That people... There's people who say it was the best match of the year. There's people who fucking love the triple threat. Right? They may not like the finish. They may think that that was a bit goofy. But you still say like this guy was sleepwalking through this and he saved the fucking main event that felt like it was doomed. Like, again, you, I, I don't think that you can say like, Oh, th- there's nothing to his 2020, but that's fine. I get it because Mayu definitely has a stronger case in 2020 than Brian Danielson does just because of the setting, you know, maybe what he's doing. I think he's doing again, he's fighting an uphill battle. He's like grasping at straws. He's, you know, he's, he's, just trying to nibble at crumbs to make something out of nothing. Trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents, as they say, right? The guy is, like, doing everything he can to make something out of nothing. And he's succeeding. And I think that that's a, that is a uh, remarkable thing to point out for someone to be able to do that. I get that, again, this is uh, this has been a phrase that I... This is the phrase that pays for Timothy Buckner when it comes to podcasting, right? Is that I review... I talk about, I give my opinion on what I see and, you know, what actually happened and not the background stories and not all that. And yeah, so when it comes to that, is the quality there? No. But when you think about everything that he's having to deal with, it is pretty impressive that he's at least able to show something. And then, as I said, the real emotional, why he's my number one. And I don't want to give short shift to Mayu, so I, I feel like I should at least talk about Mayu some and as you said um I my biggest issue and why I wouldn't have her this high and I don't have her this high is that she doesn't necessarily work to my taste as much as someone like Brian Danielson does right um and I think that you would agree with that um you know I love Matt wrestling more than anything I like professional wrestling I talk about that that's kind of my thing um not to say that she's not good at that but a lot of Mayu's kind of best stuff is, as you talked about, some of the high-flying and some of the fireworks kind of stuff. Uh, the drama is can be there, and she can be very good at matches where she is trying to tell stories. Um, I think another important thing, and this is just, again, when it comes to our list, it's great because little details and little important things like this can be pointed out, and they can matter. Just go back and listen. You know, see my number 50 if you want to talk about like the importance of emotional things. Mayu's had Hanakamura's last match, you know, within this time period that we're talking about. So that's something to mention because that's an important kind of touchstone for the for the pandemic and, and for wrestling in general in the world. So that's something to talk about as well. Um, so, yeah, I just 
the Atami Hayashishida stuff I think is really good and she did help to like continue to push um Utami into that that level of of being like I said coming across as like such a dominant champion that I think is really important for the future of uh of stardom is to have a champion who have this big champion that people that they can build around and I talked about it when we uh when I mentioned her earlier that she feels like the you know she could be basically the Okada of of New Japan right uh the kind of the the big the big thing there um so yeah um Mayu again that that's kind of my only negatives on her that I could possibly have that said as you said what she's doing and the and the and the setting that she's in is phenomenal it just doesn't it doesn't speak to me and this is why I am not the biggest Joshi fan always is because the style doesn't always you know talk to me I should probably pay more attention to some of the like uh, grappling Joshi that's going on and and, and like Sendai and places like or, that. or even just like some of the strike just some of the strike sure. heavy stuff would just yeah. like it would always be be more your thing yeah I mean honestly even strikes are not my thing I like grappling more than striking a lot of times but either way true, true, true. um either way yeah I don't want to I don't want to like treat Mayu like an afterthought because she's your number one and she deserves rightfully deserves the space um and talking about the three dumb like it's weird to think like what would have happened if Mayu had had gone to WWE? Like, I almost think she might have excelled more than the other members of Freedom, but I I also don't know. I, I feel I feel like ultimately, I honestly think it comes down to looks. Honestly, I think that yeah. Mayu gets regarded as like the ugly like the ugly duckling of Freedom. Everyone think everyone talks about how hot Io is, and people love how like you know wholesome and adorable and cute Kyrie is. I feel like I really just feel like people just. They, Mayu's ugly, so they just don't pay attention to how good of a worker she is. <laughs> I really yeah. think it's that simple. Yeah, that's probably pretty fair. Uh, Carrie has that like little girl thing that people are obsessed with, right? And so yeah, and then and then uh, Eo is like yeah, yeah, whatever. Anyways, that's not the point. Um, so yeah, that's a uh, Mayu again. Great pick, and I can see where you're coming from. Having just two really really fucking solid years, and I I talked about. Daniel Bryan, right? So now, can I talk about Bryan Danielson? Is that is that okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, goddamn, like, how overwhelmingly, like, this is a fucking slam dunk wrestler of the year if there if there if there is one. Right. I, I would I would save it for twenty twenty one. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, Bryan Danielson, you've got we've got three months, and he wrestles every week. For that time, basically, he and every week he has a wait, 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 not to cut you off, but like, remember, if we're still talking about Daniel Bryan for one second, his 2021, you mentioned the triple threat, but he has a couple of Jey Uso matches and a Cesaro match in the Roman Reigns stuff. You might, I might, I might like it more than you did, but those matches, both of those, still might be the best WWE matches of the year. Yes, that's true. And, uh, and definitely, you know, in that, in the, an interesting spot because like, uh, you know, he kind of, he'll set the, he'll set the tone as being the, you know, nobody cares right now because, um, AEW is new and there's not like this long historic thing, but you know, the first person to ever main event, you know, WrestleMania and then also main event and AEW pay-per-view in the same calendar year. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Um, he'll be the first person to have ever done that, you know, years down the line. Um, but yeah, like, uh, uh, you, you get 
again, WWE stuff in 2021, fantastic. That's still Daniel Bryan. I'm talking about Bryan Danielson, and I'm talking about, as yeah, I said, yeah. the return of professional wrestling. And he put it that way, and he delivered that on my TV that I'm getting to watch. You know, I don't, I don't actually watch TV. We've talked about this. But either way, mainstream television wrestling we're getting the return of not sports entertainment but professional wrestling and he knocks it out of the park on, on a weekly basis yes. like every fucking week from bobby fish Minoru suzuki dustin rhodes eddie kingston john silver evil uno colt cabana kenny omega nick jackson like literally every week to the point where and obviously like it's just like the, like every every time he's on tv as a highlight but then he goes up there and his two biggest matches are the two best matches of the year. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's it. The guy is just flawless, impeccable record from the moment he hits AEW television till the moment he's done. He opens it up with a time limit draw with Kenny Omega. Like I said, definitively telling people professional wrestling is back on TV. And he closes out the year doing the same thing and making sure that you don't forget. He does another time limit draw with Adam Page to let everyone know pro wrestling is here to fucking stay. And that's like, yeah, to me, when it comes to the pandemic and when it comes to like getting me reinvigorated in the idea of watching and paying attention to professional wrestling, Brian Danielson is the only person who could possibly do that. And he did. And he succeeded. And he's gone beyond succeeding. And as you talked about everything, the mix of stuff, like the big time singles matches, and then also the storytelling, building matches, the matches that should just be throwaway squatches. Squash, squash matches. They become, <laughs> they become must watch TV. When Daniel Bryan, when Bryan Danielson is doing a squash match against Evil Uno or fucking John Silver, you have to see it. You can't just let it, oh, whatever, who cares? No, this is. there's something good that's going to happen here. There is something that's important that's going to happen here. You can't just, like, pretend like it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, like, like you said, a slam dunk case for 2020 Wrestler of the Year, I think, without any question. I think for across the pandemic, the 2020 case, maybe it's weak, maybe it's not. Like I said, you know, it's, for me, I see it. And the 2021 is so strong that, and when it comes to this is a pandemic, again, from the beginning, I said this when we started this, this list is not about the best wrestler of 2020 and 2021. This list is the best wrestler of COVID. And the wrestler to me that stands out the most for the pandemic, the wrestler to me who brought me from the darkest place that I've ever been in my wrestling fandom for almost 30 years of watching wrestling to back up to the heights of being excited about professional wrestling being on my fucking TV again is Brian Danielson. And again, pro wrestling is back and I'm hoping at some point it can be just as good as it ever was. Yeah. I don't like, again, I don't have anything to say against Brian Danielson because he is my number two. So, yeah, I think that I think that about wraps wraps it up for us here. Uh, just Jesus Christ, he spent over an hour talking about the top five. Jesus, yeah. goddamn. Uh, <laughs> That's it. But but thank you, but thank you for doing this with me. As always, Timothy, this was what the sixth time. Yeah, this is this? Uh, sixth time? fifth fifth year, sixth time in general. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's it's a lot. We've done we've done we've done we've done quite a few of these, few of these at this point, and they're always a highlight and always something that I look forward to doing. So, thank you very much for doing it. Uh, anything you want to say before we sign off here? Just ready to sit back and wait for you to uh, release the matches, the, the the hundred matches. That's why I don't involve myself with that. But good luck. Um, uh, yeah. Look for look for something interesting. Maybe I'll come up with something fun to do in the interim. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But that's all I got to say. All right, and thank you, uh, thank you all for listening to. Both part for both parts of these. No three parts this time. I think I hope hopefully you guys understand that this is a trying time just to watch wrestling in general and live. And we might not have always had a lot to say about these people. So hopefully you t- hopefully you guys can bear with us and uh, still appreciate what we what we what we gave you here. So thank you all for listening and hope you're here next time.